Happy holidays, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the final edition of Kicking Out of Two for the year 2018. I am your host, Dave Rosenbluth. we got a really fun show planned for you as we're going to do a good old-fashioned watch-along. The same way we started 2018 on this journey, we're going to end 2018 with a watch-along of WCW Starcade 1998. We're going to reflect, reminisce, reimagine, if you will, uh, the 20th anniversary of this event, the night that Kevin Nash ended Goldberg's undefeated streak and became the world champ in controversial fashion. And my brother Daryl, who's going to be making his solo podcast debut this week with me, is going to be joining me as he's going to discuss his thoughts on this event as we watch it on the WWE Network. So have your WWE Network fired up and ready to rock and roll to join us and watch WCW Starcade 1998. But before you guys do that, Allow me to remind you that all the fun's taking place on social media. All the retro throwback pro wrestling discussions are going on over at Facebook and Twitter. Our Facebook handle is facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Hit that like button if you have not already. If you have, tell a friend to hit the like button and be a part of all the fun that we got going on over there. Like I said, debates, discussions, pictures, videos, memes. I post uh, you know, pictures of uh, what my wife got me for Christmas. I got a couple of new uh, Hasbro action figures, which, you, by the way, if you're looking for some good action figures head on over to w figs retro wrestling action figures on facebook they got all kinds of great retro pro wrestling toys from action figures to the the old hasbro rings ljn's jacks mattels you name it they got it all over there so head on over to w figs retro wrestling action figures on facebook tell them i sent you and uh our twitter handle we are on twitter as well not the not as strong of a following on Twitter as we have on Facebook, but like I say, Rome is not building a day. You gotta crawl before you walk and walk before you run. So give us a follow over on Twitter. Our handle is at kicking out two K I C K N O U T and the number two. Like I said, not as strong of a following, but the same fun and the same madness that I've been creating and helping uh, marinate, if you will, over on Facebook. I'm doing it on Twitter, but 140 characters or less. All right, now that I got the social media plugs out of the way, uh, I just want to say I hope you guys had a great holiday. hope you guys got to spend time with the ones you love. I know I did. I got to spend the uh, last few days with my beautiful wife, my stepson, um, his dog Rocco. Rocco came to visit as well, had a great time. Uh, my parents, my brothers, my, my sister-in-laws, um, my in-laws on my wife's side of the family got to spend some time with them as well. Her father came in from out of town from Florida. We had a lot of fun these last few days. Hope you guys have had that much fun too. Um, with this watch along this week, hopefully some of you are off work and you got time to sit down and uh, participate in this watch along with us on the WWE Network. I know sometimes it can be difficult for those of you that listen to this show to make some time to do a watch along. But with the holiday break, I thought this would probably be a really good time for people to sit down Put the, put the WWE Network on, but put the TV on mute because you know that the real commentary is going to be with myself and Daryl. So uh, I thought as good a time as any would be this week to do it. So hopefully you guys can join us and be a part of all that fun. And before we get into all that fun, like I said, social media plugs out of the way. Everyone had a great holiday. I know I did. Um, you can check me out this week as well. I'm branching out a little bit, if you will, here on Kicking Out of Two, doing a collaboration. I kind of talked about it last week's show with Kobe Nida and Retromania. We're going to debut 
the 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 inaugural episode of our collaboration. We call it marking out the days. That's right. We're going to mark out. We're going to talk about the important and not so important events in professional wrestling history that took place on this particular date. The show debuts on moleholeradio.com and over on iTunes as well. Thursday, December the 27th. That will be tomorrow if you guys hit the download button and listen to this show today, December the 20, December the 26th, 2018. So check me out tomorrow, December the 27th, iTunes and moleholeradio.com for kicking out a two and Retromania present marking out the days. We're going to discuss some old Starcades, 93, 94, 95. We're even going to touch upon 98, even though we're doing it this week here on Kicking Out at 2. We're going to talk about some birthdays as well. Goldberg, Cesaro, Bart Gunn, China. We're going to have a lot of fun over there. And Kobe and I, uh, we're, we're really looking forward to getting this project off the ground. We hope you guys enjoy the walk down memory lane, if you will, with Kobe and myself and marking out the days. All right. Got it all out of the way now. I think it's about that time that we get into this week's watch along. So, without further ado, all right, guys, let's get into it this week. What we are all here for WCW Starcade 1998 watch along on the WWE Network. Log into your WWE Network accounts right now to find WCW Starcade 1998. The year is 1998. The date is December the 28th of 1998. And we've reached the 20 year anniversary of that event this week. An event mired in controversy. An event that really set the table for what was to come both in front of the camera and behind the camera with the roller coaster year that WCW had in 1999. And while you guys are searching for that, allow me to introduce someone who has joined us previously on this show, an individual who was a part of the Team Rosenbluth Monday Night Raw Watch Along from October the 23rd, 2000. He's the second oldest of us Rosenbluth boys. He's making his solo debut here on Kicking Out of Two as one of my co-hosts. Allow me to introduce my youngest brother, my younger brother, excuse me, Daryl Rosenbluth. What's up, man? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for being a part of this. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. So it's going to be like we were, you know, just watching wrestling when we were kids so uh you know it's an event that we've watched when we were younger um on pay-per-view on tape <laughs> and and now on the wwe network so it's evolving but uh going back a little bit just tell me briefly as a fan what did you think of wcw starcade 1998 well what you could remember when you were younger well from what from what i can remember you know uh you know just uh you know just wanting to see like the big matches, you know, big uh, on the making the card look pretty big, and it, it didn't seem like it was a pretty good card, big card actually, as it was between last year's Starcade, as I remember. Yep, ninety-seven. That's right, and uh, of course, uh, people like to see uh, the big main events, which at that time I was very fond of, which was you know Goldberg versus Nash, you know his Goldberg streak on the line, his world title on the line, which yep. people were really excited about, especially you know the kids in my in my school, you know, we're really excited about it because they were all wrestling fans as well. Yeah. And uh, to see uh, Flair versus Bischoff for the first time, which um, which I thought was going to be pretty interesting as well. And um, even uh, DDP versus uh, The Giant, formerly known as The Big Show, which um, seemed like pretty interesting as well. But, um, you know, uh, the card, I mean, like it wasn't, that much of a pretty big card, as I can say again, you know, because, uh, you know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it, it, 
and we'll talk about it as we go through this watch along. It wasn't a, uh, it didn't feel like Starcade. It didn't feel like the granddaddy of them all, the biggest show of WCW's year compared to 1997, where you had Hogan and Sting, you had Bischoff and Larry Zbyszko for Control of Nitro, you had um, Diamond Dallas Page and Kurt Henning, you had uh, it was supposed to be Kevin Nash and the Giant. You had a big card for that Starcade that was that everything was culminating that year in '97, so it was huge, and you had a lot to live up to in '98. And I just remember growing up. Hearing rumors that, you know, at the end of Starcade 97, the plan was, or the rumored plan was, and we don't know how true this is, and a lot of people have uh, have said this wasn't the case, but the rumor was supposed to be Hogan and Brett at 98 Starcade, and it didn't happen. Um, and that's as far that's what I can remember growing up reading it on the internet and the dirt sheets. But you're you're definitely right. If if I could categorize this show. Before we get into it and watch it, um, I would probably say this was a really good episode of Nitro. This felt like a good Nitro as opposed to it being Starcade. You had some good matches, but you also had some matches that were filler that we'll get into in just a moment. Uh, but before we get into it, log on to Facebook right now, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. We got links for archive shows. We have pictures, videos, great interactive discussion over there about retro pro wrestling at its best over there, facebook.com forward forward slash kicking out of two if you have not already hit that like button but if you have tell a friend to hit the like button to be a part of all the interactive retro fun that is kicking out of two on facebook and same thing goes for twitter our twitter handle is at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two the same kind of fun the interactive discussions you name it the the pictures the the gifs whatever you want to call them the memes it's all over there on twitter but 140 characters or less all right it's about that time we get things started here with this watch along here for WCW Starcade 1998. So hopefully you've logged into your WWE Network account. You found the event December the 28th, 1998. It's in the pay-per-view section for WCW. And you're going to skip past the television rating and the usual commercials for toilet paper that they put on there on the network. So um, I'll give you guys a little bit of a countdown right now in 5, 4, 3, 2, one hit play. Have a holly jolly Starcade. It's Goldberg Street coming to an end. Kevin Nash will whip his ass and everyone will cheer. Oh, oh, the U.S. title is not around his waist. Somebody beat him for that championship this evening. Have a holly jolly Starcade where Ric Flair's gonna beat up Bischoff after he sued him in WCW and everyone still cheered. Woo! <laughs> Here we are live in Washington, D.C. The MCI Center became the home for Starcade for uh, the last few years following this event. Um, it was a... Uh it was a it was a, a pretty big building, one of the newer buildings at that time in 1998. Uh, we, we see the pyrotechnics display, similar uh, staging and, and setup for this Starcade, like the last one, uh, just a different color scheme. Uh, you can see that last year the the 97 version was uh, you know blue and and gray and very dark to kind of catered to Sting, and this is a little more uh, lively with the the the, the gold and the the, the bronze 
um, as we have uh, Tony Schiavone head as the, uh, the the head announcer along with Mike Tenay the professor and Bobby the brain Heenan. what did you think of this uh, the, this trio here for WCW broadcasters Daryl well I think it was a first of all I think it was a great opportunity for somebody like Mike Tenay because when the first time I ever saw him when they were presenting the cruiserweights in the matches yep Mike on the pay-per-views Mike Tenay would like uh, usually there would be like Tony Schiavone and the great Bobby Heenan and the great Dusty Rhodes, and then of course Dusty Rhodes would get out of the commentating table just for one match, so that Mike could take Mike Tenay could call off on the cruiserweight division in the matches. So, and even when Dusty Rhodes, you know, was forced to step out as a commentary because he became, turned on Larry Zbyszko in one of the pay per views to become a member of the NWO, and I felt like it was you know a great opportunity to, for Mike Tenay to become full-time commentating with Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan. Yeah, it was. I mean, I like TNA. I like his stuff in TNA. Did you think he was a good commentator in TNA? Well, I think he... I wouldn't say he was that great, but I think he was really good, and people say that Mike TNA seems to know a lot about wrestling. He does. He's very knowledgeable. Did you hear the rumor that WWE was looking into making uh, Mike TNA the GM of uh, 205 Live, the Cruiserweight show on the network? No, I have, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, but I was very. Uh, that was a rumor recently. Yeah, but I was very when they when WWE was doing the cruiserweight division again. Of course, they had two hundred five. I thought of Mike Tenay wanting to be the head commentator of two hundred five because you know he knows a lot about the cruiserweights and he knows a lot about wrestling and he, it seemed like it would be a great opportunity for him in WWE, just like TNA gave him the opportunity. From the very beginning when TNA started. Yep, yep, yeah. I mean, TNA, I think, would have been a good fit. I just think, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a young man's game, meaning it's, uh, you know, nothing nothing against people who are older, but, I mean, you know, television cosmetically is a is a, is a, is a fickle beast, and we all know that, that WWE likes to cater towards the, uh, the, the younger um, audience, so they want a younger look on their television here. Uh, that's why uh, I, I don't think Mike TNA would have been the the role the he would have been suited for that role i mean he would have been good don't get me wrong i would have loved to hear hear him on 205 he probably would have made it a little bit more interesting uh, as we roll to a video package here of uh i don't know what the heck this is but oh i think i know what this is this is the um this is the commercial for the uh i believe it was the remember the the home shopping network where you could buy like items on TV, you call in and there's like a phone number and people are like displaying the like the clothes or the the products. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's QVC that. right here. So yeah, they had a commercial for that on this pay per view. So WCW had an endorsement deal with them at that time, where you could see like you know WCW wrestlers come on that show and and promote uh, all different kinds of merchandise. As we open up the pay-per-view with Mean Gene Okerlund, I'm surprised he's not three sheets to the wind at this point uh, after having a few cocktails with uh, nature boy Ric Flair. But, yeah, Mean Gene was, uh, you know, a a staple of our childhood, both WWF and WCW. Um, I kind of like the glasses with Mean Gene. It it, 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 uh, it added a little bit more of a sophisticated look to him if they didn't – if he, if he wasn't sophisticated enough already. But um, I would have loved to... I, I liked Mean Gene towards the end of WCW when he was cussing and he was kind of bringing that, like, personality he had behind the scenes where, you know, he... He he was just you know a, a dirty old man. I thought that was a, I thought that was a fun Mean Gene. I like that Mean Gene. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like 
when I went to see that movie, Ready to Rumble, of course, Dad took me, Justin, and Zach to go see it. Yeah. I mean, Mean Gene was pretty funny in that movie. In that one scene that he, uh, at, where he was with uh, partying with all the wrestlers and the Nitro girls. And yep. He even asked Oliver Platt, who played Jimmy King, the wrestler who was going to have one last chance at a match against Diamond Dallas Page for the world title in a pay-per-view. Yep. He asked him a question. Do you think people, do people think I'm sexy? And he goes... I think you're sexy. Mean Gene, I think you really are. Because Mean Gene was like holding a uh, a paper bottle of liquor. And I think he was pretend- and he was like pretending to be drunk. Yeah. And that was like. Speaking of cruiserweights, we talked about it just a few moments ago. Juventud Guerrera representing the Latino world order. I have to ask you a question. Um, what did you think of cruiserweight wrestling and at, at the time? Was would, Did you like watching Cruiserweight Wrestling in WCW when you were a kid? You were 11 years old when this came out. So was this – did you enjoy watching Cruiserweight Wrestling? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they were – I thought – my reaction was they were pretty – they were small guys. They were just like – of course, when I was like 9 or 10 when I first saw the Cruiserweights, I thought, you know, they're probably like my size, and even though they look a lot older than me. Mm-hmm. And – um of course, you know, the stuff that they do in the ring, you know, the moonsault, the high-flying and all that stuff. I mean, that was, like, my first reaction when I saw high-flying wrestling. So that was the first time you saw, like, high-flying wrestlers was was cruiserweights in WCW? Yeah, that's so right. you can remember? Okay. Here we have Rey Mysterio reluctantly representing the Latino World Order. Um, another participant in this cruiserweight championship match is uh, him and Juventud are set to challenge Billy Kidman, the reigning WCW cruiserweight champion for the cruiserweight title in this triple threat cruiserweight championship match. Um, now, I got another question for you. Do you watch... Um, so you liked you, you you liked WCW cruiserweight wrestling. Who were some of your favorites watching back then? Oh, I loved watching Rey Mysterio. I loved watching uh, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, Kidman. Okay, and um, of course uh, Chris Jericho. If I didn't mention, yeah, he was a, he was a cruiserweight champion at one point. Yep. He'll be on the show later. We, we can discuss Jericho and uh, especially Dean Malenko as well. And you liked Malenko? Yeah, because I thought you know he was. You know, the way he came out in the ring with his music entrance and, you know, he was like, you know, flexing his, like, his, his wrists. wrists. Yeah. Yeah, and especially, you know, he had the Texas Cloverleaf and he was like, I thought he was unstoppable and a, and a great athlete as oh, yeah. well. He's one of the he's one of the best technicians out there in, in, in all of, in all of wrestling history. Um, yeah, this story here between these, uh, these three individuals is uh, the Latino World Order, which is um, headed up by Eddie Guerrero. Uh, there's they're, they're going after the cruiserweight championship, and he sends out Juventud and Ray, who are probably uh, two of the better cruiserweights in wrestling history. Uh, like I said, Ray reluctantly a part of the LWO, and uh, you know Hoovy's kind of trying to do the dirty work, and and Ray's, Ray's forced to be in this match. He's reluctant to. Um, really hurt Kidman and take him out, even though the title is on the line. But uh, this was also the year earlier in this year, in 1998, when Juventud lost the mask um, to Chris Jericho at Super Brawl earlier that year. Uh, what did you think of Juventud without the mask? Was it, did it, was it good? Was it bad? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? What did you think of Hoovy without the mask well, on? Well, um... When I saw him without the mask, I mean, I, as a kid, I didn't think that he would lose the mask mm-hmm. because people like to see 
the luchadors with the masks and everything. Yep. And, uh, of course, when he took it off, I remember, you know, he had a match with someone. I forget who it was. And he was... Jericho. Yeah. Yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah, he was... He, he was pretty wild. I felt like he was pretty wild without it. You know, because he felt like he was playing a character like he was a totally different person. And um, I wasn't so fond with him losing the mask because even though he wasn't going to be built big without it. I mean, yeah, he well, his identity as a luchador was with the mask. Right. So that so, you know, without it, it kind of takes away that that luchador mystique. Um, and we know about a year later or not even a year later, just a few months after this match, Ray would lose his mask yeah. um, at Super Brawl of all places um, in a tag match with Conan against uh, the Outsiders, Hall and Nash. But um so, all right, so you talked about, you know, cruiserweight wrestling back then. Uh, what do you think about it now? Do you do you, do you watch any 205 Live? I mean, you could be honest. I don't, I, I, I don't watch it that often, so. I watched it a couple times when there were some familiar guys like uh, Neville, of course, and Austin Aries. And, you know, I didn't watch too much of it because it mm-hmm. didn't seem that exciting as it was in WCW. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people are like that. I mean, there's still some good wrestling out there on, on 205 Live now. Um, I think what hurt it in the beginning was that uh, when they when they introduced the Cruiserweight Championship and that Cruiser... Did you watch any of that Cruiserweight Classic on the network a couple of years ago, that tournament? Um, no, I didn't. You didn't? Okay, well, the way that the tournament was presented... It was almost treated like an Olympic sport because the guys were, um, you know, they had uh, their their entrances and they represented their entrances were unique. They represented different countries. Each guy, um, they had, um, uh, you know, you know how sometimes like on, on a UFC fight, the referee you, you'll hear the referee mic'd up and he'll give the guy the instructions, and then at the end when the guy, you know, the 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 ring announcer announces the winner, the referee's in between the two guys, he holds the one guy's arm up, like they did all that stuff, kind of like very like MMA like, and the matches were awesome. I mean, Gargano and Ciampa put on a hell of a match. There was other guys, uh, you know, TJP um, had had some great matches as well. Um, you saw a lot of guys that um, you know that were big names on the independent level that were really making a mark in the cruiser in, in that cruiserweight tournament. And after the tournament, they announced that it was going to be a regular thing on Monday Night Raw, and they almost were it, the way they promoted it. It sounded like they were treating it like it was um, cruiserweights on Nitro because the, the the cruiserweights in WCW were introduced. On WCW Monday Night Show, they even said, like, Cruiserweight Wrestling returns to Monday nights. And I just thought that, um, you know, with with three hours of Raw, that Cruiserweight Wrestling would at least get a little bit of time and it would make for some interesting parts in a somewhat boring three-hour Raw because Raw can be pretty boring at three hours. And they tried too hard to, like you know, give them characters and stories. And I think some guys need characters, but I think other guys are so athletically gifted that they don't need characters that their in-ring work speaks for themselves. Yeah, and uh, I think that's kind of like a little bit the same with WCW when uh, the Cruiserweights were like made themselves and they weren't even main event players. I mean, we've we've heard of Chris Jericho's story where his time in WCW where he was allowed to be the worker, have good matches, and don't get over. yeah. Which is like, you know, I felt like a little disappointed about, you know, feel sorry for him that he didn't get 
a real good push as he probably earned it, which he supposedly could have. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, WCW in the office, they just focus on the big names, which... which I yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, we can discuss at some point regarding WCW and how things were, were mismanaged and, 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 and poorly run. Um, I mean, if you're, you know, you're, you're a wrestling fan in general, but um, if you uh, ever have a chance... You need to check out Eric Bischoff's podcast of uh, 83 weeks. Um, he he tells a lot of great stories, and uh, you know he he'll. What I like about Bischoff's podcast is that he will own up to the mistakes that he's made. But then, if there's things that that wrestling fans will get on him about, he'll have a good reason behind it after he explains himself. He's very detailed in his explanations and his answers. So I mean. Um, Definitely tell some really good stories, so you ought to check that out. Yeah, I think I'll I'll be able to check it out as uh, as soon as I, uh, you know, take the time for myself from work and all that stuff. Oh, I know. Oh, there we see a nice wow. top rope Hurricane Rana from Juventud to Rey Mysterio going for the cover. This has been a pretty fun match so far. Yeah, um, reminding us, you know, what you know, cruiserweight wrestling was all about in WCW. Um, Billy Kidman here going for the cover. Hoovy kicking out. Referee of this match, Little Nate, Charles Robinson, still refereeing to this day in WWE. Um, Rey Mysterio still competing in W. He's currently in WWE now. Billy Kidman working behind the scenes in WWE and uh, Juventud. I don't know where he is. I believe he's in Mexico, and you kind of see him on the indie scene here and there. But nothing, uh, nothing to write home about. Yeah. When it comes to Juventud's career. Well, I have to say, I mean, I really like this match so far. I mean, you know, to it was good to have, you know, good matches, you know, to kick off on the show and the pay-per-view. Just well, that's so what the Cruiserweights were all about. I mean, you, you, yeah. can, you, you could start the show off hot. You know you're going to get the human car crash with those guys. Like, that's what, that's what in many ways they were intended for. They were designed, you know, to kick things off in the show or to be put in the middle of the show when the show's starting to slow down. you got to pick it up at times, you know. So, um, yeah, this has been a, a really fun match, a lot of fun with these three guys going all out in this triple threat triangle match or whatever you want to call it uh, for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Springboard moonsault by Mysterio. One, two, Hoovy breaking up the count. And this is where we see the seeds of dissension as Ray does not want to do Eddie's dirty work, but he wants to win the championship fairly. And not have to be associated with the LWO whatsoever. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, you know, Rey Mysterio is like, doesn't seem like, you know, he's not on the Latino world order level, even though that he's almost sided with them, you know, and he's forced. No, I think he was forced to be a part of the group. I mean, um, if, I re if I recall, I don't remember specific details surrounding it, but um, here we go. Look at this. and. Wow. Woo. Unbelievable. Hurricane yeah. Rana from Rey Mysterio. Two moving yeah. to Guerrero from the top rope all the way out to the floor. This is what uh, that human car crash stuff that Bischoff was talking about at its finest right here. And we see Mysterio trying to make his way back into the ring. Pretty difficult considering he just landed on the floor. Kidman hooking him for what appears to be a, a suplex back inside the ring. Because the action's got to end in the ring at some point. Um, Kidman, WCW, what were your thoughts on Billy Kidman? Well, 
first time I saw him, of course, he was uh, affiliated with Raven's Flock. He was just Kidman, not Billy Kidman. And um, yeah. And of course, uh, even when they he broke off with them, you know, he was on his own. It was like he was given a really great opportunity to try to become a star. Yeah. And um, you know, he stopped wearing those uh, dressed up like Raven, and you know, he grew his hair a little more. He looked like a, a pretty boy Power Ranger character, if you can. I'm sure that you can describe who it is. <laughs> and um, of course, you know, he he started wearing the jeans, and he had that white tank top, and you know, he looked. He looked pretty good, and he seemed like a guy that was on his way to becoming a star. And uh, I always believed that he would work with guys like Hogan. Of course, he would work with him. Excuse me, I'm just opening up a soda here. My apologies for the noise. Okay. okay anyway, as I was saying, you know, when I felt like you know he was good, that someday he would get an opportunity in WCW to work with big names like Hulk Hogan, in which he did a couple years later. All right, let me ask you that. What did you think about that? Um, what did you think about Billy Kidman wrestling Hulk Hogan? On, on a pay-per-view. I, uh, that, was in, that was in 2000. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I was just like um, really hoping that if Hogan would try to make Kidman look real good. But uh, he seems to have made him, got him over when Kidman turned heel, when like he attacked him and, and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. But as far as the match goes, Hogan had to uh, go with his own way. You know, just like having, you know, maybe beat him. You know, and of course... I think a month later he wrestled him at Great American Bash when he stopped being, you know, Hulk Hogan. He turned from Hulk Hogan to become Hollywood, Hollywood Hogan, Hogan again, yep. which was he was now a babyface, and it was a, uh, of course, it was a number one contender spot. I think. Yep. Hogan, if Hogan beat Kidman, he was going to earn an opportunity at the WCW title. If Kidman won, he wasn't getting anything. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Moonsault by Mysterio. Not bad. On to both, both catching him perfectly out into the arena floor. Um, I kind of thought it was silly. I'm not going to lie in in regards to Hogan and Kidman, uh, just because Hogan was so much bigger than Kidman. And I just felt like, I just felt like it was forced. It was, it was, it was too, um, it just seemed very forced to me that, you know, Kidman, had an issue with Hogan. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like there wasn't any great build up to it. Like if it was built up for a little while, I'd, I'd get behind it. But I don't know. I just didn't really didn't make me believe that Billy Kidman was any kind of threat to the immortal Hulk Hogan whatsoever. Um, and not, that's not taking away Billy Kidman's talent or his ability. Hoovy driver by Hoovy into the middle yeah. of the ring over Rey Mysterio. Now, Here's an interesting fact. You probably remember this, Daryl. Uh, at one point, um, all three of these guys were once members of the Filthy Animals together. That's right. At the end of WCW. That's um, right. I remember that. Yeah. Now. Uh, the original Filthy Animals was Conan, Eddie, Kidman, and Ray. And then Eddie left, and I believe they broke up the Filthy Animals, and then they put the Filthy Animals back together when Russo was booking. And... Um, you know, it was when Russo and Bischoff both booked. Oh, look at that. Slingshot. Hurricane Rana by Mysterio to Kidman. One, two. Oh, Hoovy with the save again. Um, yeah, they, they they put them back together, but this time it was uh, Conan, Eddie. No, I'm sorry. Conan, Ray, Kidman, Hoovy, and the Disco Inferno, which I thought <laughs> was pretty fucking silly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, all three of these guys were once part of the filthy animals towards the end of their uh their run in WCW. Um, 
You remember how Hoovy got fired from WCW? Uh, gee, I don't remember how. So it was in the fall of 2000, and WCW was at a, um, at a, uh, uh, they were over in Australia filming, filming uh, Nitro. And I believe the story I heard was that Hooventude, uh, uh was uh, participating in some, uh, some illegal drug activity. He was taking something. Oh, oh I, I read it somewhere in the... I think I read it somewhere in the death of the WCW book that Hoovy was, you know, getting himself into a lot of trouble yeah. you know, behind the scenes. And he took some... He, he took something and he was acting crazy and he was out of control and I think he got violent with someone and it was in a hotel and WCW ended up firing him not too long after that. Um, oh, shooting star press wow. by Kidman to both guys on the outside. This has been a Pretty damn fun match so far. Um, one of the brighter spots on this card. We talked about it earlier how uh, there was a few good matches on this card and everything else was just kind of eh. Well, this is one of the few good matches for sure um, for the Cruiserweight Championship as we open up this this uh, Starcade event. What we got here? We got referee Charles Ryan. Oh, Mamacita. That's right. Eddie Guerrero, Latino Heat, the leader of the Latino World Order, making his way to the ringside area. He's going to uh, try to interject himself into this match, um, which, if wrestling logic serves me correctly, um, I know Charles Robinson's trying to do his job here, but why the fuck uh, is he worried about Guerrero getting involved when there's no disqualification in a triple threat match, if I'm not mistaken. Well, well yeah, that's what I want to know, too. I mean, like... Uh, one, two, Mysterio breaking up the pin. Kidman, one, one two, two three. three. And Billy Kidman is your winner and still reigning WCW Cruiserweight Champion. He got the victory right under the nose of Eddie Guerrero. And uh, not a happy... Eddie Guerrero, the leader of the the LWO. Um, let me ask you this: What did you think of LWO? Did you think it was cool? Did you think it was stupid, like most people? Um, do you think it was too much? What do you think of LWO? I think it was a, a group that was never going to make it as big as the NWO. I mean, it, it was kind of pretty cool, you know, to make it the Latino World Order because they're all cruiserweights, and um, and of course the cruiserweights, on the other hand would never become big main event players. And, and uh, of course, I mean, it was surprising. I mean, of course, it didn't last very long. You know, it was, yeah. uh, it was like, you know, Eddie Guerrero cutting a promo where, like, he spilled coffee on himself where he was telling the story about... He was mentioning Bischoff and he was mentioning all that stuff. Yeah, I was there. I was at that Nitro when he did that. That's right. And, um, and of course, uh, it, it didn't... I thought I felt like it was kind of like a joke. I mean, yeah, it seemed pretty silly. I mean, the 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 LWO with the NWO logo, it was just I don't know. I just thought it was. I mean, even as a kid, I was I was 16 when this when this was out, and I was like, wow, this is silly. You got a you already got two NWOs. You don't need you don't need an LWO. But yeah. um, I mean. I mean, keep NWO Hollywood black and white, and keep the the red and black Wolfpack. You know, just like, I mean, the Wolfpack I I enjoyed it was like a first, you know, NWO babyface when they had you know Nash and Hogan had a falling out and yeah, and, and we'll a, talk about that in a little bit with uh, 
with a, the, the, our main event with Nash and Goldberg. But we see Eddie here ripping a new asshole into both of these guys for not bringing home the Cruiserweight Championship. So it looks like he's going to have to... He's going to have to do things, you know, the, the, he's going to have to take matters into his own hands and not worry about others doing the dirty work for him. And, and in a moment here, we will see Eddie Guerrero challenging Billy Kidman to a match for the Cruiserweight Championship, um, which was a nice little addition to the Starcade card, if, if I do say so myself, coming off the, uh, the, the really fun triple threat. Yeah, I would say so as well. I mean, it was... It was quite a surprise, you know, that um, they would have, uh, you know, Kidman compete again against Eddie Guerrero, who, of course, he didn't have his wrestling gear on. He he beat Eddie Guerrero with uh, with one shoe on, and um, of course, you know, and it builds uh, Billy Kidman to be a a top cruiserweight as well as he's got the title. Yeah. Now, what did you think of uh, of Eddie Guerrero's time in? Uh... I mean, Eddie Guerrero's probably, I mean, we could both agree, he's probably one of the greatest of all time. I mean, you know, with, with, with his work and what he's done. But um, what did you think of Eddie Guerrero? Do you think if the politics weren't so involved and heavy in WCW, do you think he would have gotten past the level he was at? Do you think he could have been a, a, a big star in WCW the same way he was in WWE? I think it, I think he would have if he would have hang in there, you know, and, and understood a little bit about the business, especially you know. What do you mean all, understood? Well, I mean about about what goes on backstage. I think if he was really professional enough, or well, he was. Yeah, I mean, I mean in the ring. I mean as. A, but I'm saying to you, why would he? Well, I'm asking you. Do you think? What What do you mean by professional enough? Like I'm okay. trying to understand what you're saying. I think when I mean professional, like backstage, you know, like um, trying to become. I'm almost like a businessman, you know, in the ring, you know, because some wrestlers I hear, you know, they do business for uh, for other people to, for fans and all that, you know. I think what I'm trying to say, if uh, you know he, I don't know, I, I kind of lost what I was saying. Okay, all right, no, that's fine. I understand. I mean, I don't. From what I've heard, I don't. I, I've I've not heard any bad things about Guerrero behind the scenes in WCW. Um, I just think that if there wasn't, if the politics weren't so heavy, that he would have definitely been a star. Um, I don't think that it was anything about him being professional. Um, I just think that he, he got caught in the middle of a of a of a power struggle. Him and a lot of other guys. Yeah. At that time. Yeah, of course. Um, As we see this match underway, Eddie Guerrero looking to try and take the cruiserweight championship from Billy Kidman. With his jeans and his hiking boots and his LWO tank top, which you can find, by the way, on WWE's custom tees.com. It's the extension of their shop zone. They sell Latino World Order merchandise, which I found to be kind of funny and strange all at the same time. Uh, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I wished, obviously, I wished Guerrero could have had a better run in WCW. But, I mean, if he didn't, you know, if he stayed, who knows if it would have been as good um who knows if he would have uh he would have done uh he would have done as well in wcw that he did in wwe look at hooventude out there on the floor yeah he's wearing wor wearing guerrero's jacket right? yeah you see helping him with the abdominal stretch look at him <laughs> yeah, especially like a, looks I like mean, a, he looks like a fucking child with that <laughs> thing on he's uh of course i mean when he's wearing that jacket you know he's all sweaty and of course 
he probably took that jacket off and warned Eddie, you know, it's a little bit sweaty in there, Eddie, because you may need to apply baby powder. Because, <laughs> you know, the sweat, you know, it would get all over your, in the inside of your jacket. Yep, yep. Even, oh, yeah. Oh, I, I certainly know for sure. Um, Kidman eventually, well, let's move on to Kidman here for a little bit. Kidman would eventually go to WWE. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a pretty solid run as a part of, um, you know, uh, the, the cruiserweight division over there. What did you think of Kidman in WWE? Uh, I don't know if he was that exciting enough when he came in, even though, you know, he was under contract with WCW and, you know, and, of course, Vince bought WCW and he got, and he gave, you know, those wrestlers opportunity to come here. Yep. And, you know, gave Billy Kidman an opportunity and, and I think he wanted a cruiserweight championship over there. And, um, you know, I was very fond of his tag team with uh, Paul London because they... I like that, too. I thought that they didn't do enough of that. I thought that that would have been a really good thing. And I, I, I didn't like that they split them up. I thought that was kind of... Uh, I mean, I understand why they did it. But at the same time, like, I thought they were a really good team. I liked the stuff they did with the Dudleys. Um him and London really worked well together. I, I yeah. definitely enjoyed their tag team. Yeah, and I was also very fond of Paul London, too. I mean, when, you know, because he, I always feel like he, were, he, I mean, the things he did in the ring, when he won the Cruiserweight Championship, of course, they put the title on him, he uh, he had, like, those little uh, streamers on his boots, kind of like the Ultimate Warrior and the late, great Kerry Von Erich when he was the Texas Tornado. And, um, you know, and, of course, he would do some of the moves, and he would bust his head, and I thought to myself, you know, this this could be a good opportunity for Paul London, and in my opinion, because you know, a good opportunity for him in what way? Um, to try to be a, a star. You know, I mean, like if uh-huh. you, and you okay. know, as a cruiserweight, you know, if the, he could help the cruiserweight division get a little, little bit of a, ex, ex, I mean, not full excitement, but a little bit of excitement and opportunity to, you know, to show a little bit of more momentum as a single star. I mean, but, yep. Yeah, no, London was good. I, I, I liked him as a, as a cruiserweight champion. I liked the single stuff. I liked the stuff he did with Kendrick as a tag team. Um, I certainly uh, liked the stuff he did with Kidman as well. As we see Guerrero working on Kidman. Nope. Reversal into the guardrail. <laughs> of course, still wearing that shirt, though. Yep, yep. Not taking that off anytime soon. Now, Hoovy getting involved. Not sure why the referee didn't call for a disqualification there, but... I mean, it is WCW. They didn't really follow any kind of rules, both, you know, behind the scenes or in front of the camera. But, um, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, Eddie Guerrero, without a doubt, one of the greatest of all time. He could be an unbelievable good guy. He could be an unbelievable bad guy. Anything Eddie did, it was entertaining. It was fun. And uh, I remember hearing that, you know, before before he died, the stuff he was doing with Batista was going to lead to him getting the world title again. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Um, what do you think would have happened with uh, with Eddie and Batista? What do you? Th- how do you think that would have played out had um, had Eddie Guerrero not passed away? Well, I think you know. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to tell. I mean, because. I mean, I, I don't mean to bring this up, but I read Batista's book. I mean, if he's telling the truth, that he just, you know, days before, you know, he and Eddie talked, he said, he said that Eddie talked to Vince and that he wasn't interested in winning the world title. And he even mentioned that he wanted Batista to drop 
the world title to Randy Orton because Randy's got talent and Randy's got like uh, Randy's the guy to be the number one heel. Batista said that Eddie told him that with a conver- that he had a conversation with Vince and that's what he told Vince. Well, from what Eddie told. Eddie had a conversation with That's Vince. what I'm saying. Yeah. Batista said that in his book. Yeah, in his book. That Eddie told him that he had a conversation with Vince and Eddie wanted Orton to win the belt. That's right. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, I heard a story that when Eddie won the WWE championship that um, he had a hard time handling the pressures of being the champion and... I believe he kind of mutually agreed with the company to drop the title because he was, he was, he was so like, he put a lot of pressure on himself and it was like almost too much pressure to the point where he felt like he couldn't handle it anymore. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He throws his shoe at Mysterio and this is the part of the match where he's going to wrestle with one shoe and still make it look good, which that that was the, the, the greatness that was Latino heat. Yeah. And he did that at WrestleMania 20 when he was the champion. He had a really good match with Kurt Angle. And Angle, you know, as we all know, he just, like, he he put him at lock Eddie in the ankle lock. And, of yep. course, Eddie was faking an injury. He, so he unlaced his boot when Kurt Angle was going for the finish of the ankle lock. He pulled his shoe, his foot off his boot, and then he went for a roll-up, one, two, three, and he everyone go. And Eddie wins by cheating, as he always does, because he lies, he cheats, he steals. Yep, that's and right. He tried that. He did that again at SummerSlam in a rematch. And of course, you know Eddie had his boot off, and his sock was like half off. And yeah. And he lost, of course. And uh, <laughs> a lot of other people have tried the whole, you know, loose loose boot. Um, didn't somebody do that recently? Didn't somebody do like the loose shoe thing recently? Uh, I don't remember who. I'm not sure. I, I don't know who it was. I'm not really. I don't know if it was one of the girls. If it was. Someone I don't remember, but I, I could have sworn someone did the, the 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 boot off, and they tried to you know fake it and roll the guy up, and it it, it backfired. If anybody remembers current wrestling fans out there that remember, hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash kickonomic two. Um, have have we seen the the uh, Eddie Guerrero? Uh, loose wrestling boot spot in recent memory on WWE television. Excuse me. Is Guerrero working on Kidman's knee here? Some kind of, uh, I believe it's like an Indian. <laughs> of course. Yeah, Ray just took, you know, Eddie's boot that he threw and just hit his fan off of the rope. That cause... is, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's what's great about it. I mean, honestly, the, the, we're about, you know, I want to say close to 40 minutes in here. And, uh, you know, the these guys, Kidman especially, having a, a phenomenal triangle match with Ray and Hoover on the outside, now having a, a great match with one of the all-time greats, Eddie Guerrero. Um, this has been a fun open uh, so far with all these guys in the ring in this match here. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this was this was uh, some of the best cruiserweight stuff. This, Woo! This, oh, look at that! Wow, that was awesome. That that face buster, that like almost like that X Factor kind of move by by Kidman to um, Eddie Guerrero. You know what I liked? This is kind of strange. I'll, I'll I'll bring it up, but um, I always liked when WCW used to put the the logo of the pay per view in the middle of the ring. WWF only did that I think like once, or WWE I should say, and I think they did it at WrestleMania twelve. Yeah. But um, 
I don't remember them doing it after that, but I used to always like it when WCW put the the logo in the middle of the ring. What did you think about that? Oh, I liked it too because you know uh, it was, you know, it, it was something that that the wrestling ring in WCW, you know, it, it represented WCW, of course. I mean, yeah, the setting, you know, the the ring, the ropes, the turnbuckles, the steel posts, I mean, like and all that stuff. It's just. It just represented it. You know, yeah, I mean, obviously WCW had a much different ring. They were 18 by 18. Turnbuckle pads were different. The ropes were made of uh, of uh, uh, cable. They were like cable ropes. They weren't real ropes like WWE yeah. uses. The ring posts were just a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hear that. WWE's part. 20 by 20 ring, they use real ropes. The turnbuckle pads are much different. The, the ring poles are definitely different. As we see Kidman countering. Once again, now I never knew who that guy was over there. You see him? Yeah. He's 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 know. like Eddie's like bodyguard or whatever. Yeah. I never knew who he was. Neither did I. I mean, I didn't know who he was. They never even like came up with a name for him. He was just like there. You know what I mean? He was yeah. always like by Eddie's side, but they never like yeah, they never came up with a name for him. Yeah, they, oh. obviously the offices didn't really care who this guy was. They just Guerrero crouched on the rope with a little help from Mysterio, knocking into Hoovy as we see Kidman setting up for the shooting star press. Cover one, two, three, and still your WCW Cruiserweight Champion, Billy Kidman. This was a lot of fun. This was definitely a, a great way to open WCW Starcade 98. And... and for a brief moment in time, helped make this show um, important. Well, I think a lot of people forget about this match because I think they remember a lot of the bad stuff about Starcade. But this, these two matches here that Kidman was involved in were were definitely a lot of fun. I see the crowd. Yeah, they're more. all yeah, they're all excited. You know, they're seeing the uh, the good the hero win and all that stuff. And you know, Rey Mysterio helped out. You know, Kidman, and it, it just started to become a. Uh, an angle where these two become friends as well as uh you know conan and Rey mysterio and, and kidman and all yep, that yeah yeah i mean eventually, the- eventually at some point like we said we talked about earlier they they all became the filthy animals as we see in this replay here billy kidman picking up the victory with help from Rey mysterio to keep the wcw cruiserweight championship uh once again fun way to open up this card here as we get a, another crowd shot here, crazy WCW fans, as always. Um, I used to always love it when they would, uh, and there he is, big sexy. Yeah. And the man himself. And Goldberg hyping up for the, the main event later in the evening for the WCW Heavyweight Championship. Um I was pretty pumped for this match. I'm not going to lie. I'll talk about it more later. I don't want to get too much into it right now until these two come on the screen. But, um, yeah, I always thought the uh, the Goldberg-Nash match was a – as a kid, I thought it would have been a, bit of, a pretty big deal. And the hype going into it I thought was pretty good. But, uh, you know, we'll talk more about that later as we, we move on here to a match that, uh, in my opinion – has no business being on this card. Norman Smiley and his big wiggle <laughs> are going to go one-on-one with a former WCW World Television Champion, a former WCW Cruiserweight Champion. This is a match that belonged on WCW fucking worldwide. It was that bad. I mean... No disrespect to them as talents, but 
this does not belong on Starcade. This feel this is part of the show where it feels like this is a match on Nitro or this is a match on Thunder. I yeah. mean, I, mean I, I don't understand why they put this match on, but his opponent who will be making his way down to the ring shortly. Like I said, former WCW World Television Champion, former WCW Cruiserweight Champion, Prince Iakea. Give me your thoughts on both Prince Iakea and Norman Smiley. Well, the thing about Prince Iakea, I mean, he was a guy that beat Lord Steven Regal, which would be known as William Regal, of course. He held the WCW TV title longer than I think almost anybody in close. I think Arnie yeah. Anderson or Steve Austin still have the record, but go ahead. Well, yeah. Well, anyway, he was, you know, he beat Stephen Regal to win the TV title, and, and as long as, and um, of course, you know, he was cruiserweight champion as we mentioned. But Norman Smiley, you know, I mean, he was kind of, he was kind of like a jobber. I mean, from when he came in, which he looked like one like this, like he was. I didn't. Yeah, with the. And what and and <laughs> why does it say magic on the back of his tights? I have no so idea. He got a magic ass. Like what's going on? <laughs> maybe he's got like a magic uh, wiggle. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he did have the big wiggle at one point. But yeah, I thought I thought there was no point in having this match on. It felt like a match you'd put on Thunder, Thunder or Nitro. Um, didn't make didn't make any sense for me personally. Um, but you know, as we know, Norman Smiley he would end up becoming you know. I would say pretty entertaining in WCW. Um, about a year following after this, he he became screaming Norman Smiley, where they put him in the hardcore division, and um, yeah. he'd come out wearing like hockey jerseys and football pads, and he would be afraid to wrestle and afraid to to, to get involved in in the action in the hardcore division. And now he's a coach at the WWE Performance Center, which. Uh, you know, everyone talk. Everyone has great things to say about him as a, as a as a coach and someone that you know people that learn from him. So, um, not a bad wrestler. I just think um, his char- like he didn't have a character that completely connected with the audience. And uh, I think the same thing goes for uh, for Prince Iaka here. But this was part of the show, like I said, where I was like, I remember watching this as a kid, and I was like, why is it, like is this a rematch from Thunder? Is this a rematch from Nitro? Why is this match on Starcade? Starcade would have Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair and and you know Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine in a dog collar match and you know Ric Flair and Vader and the you know what I mean like yeah, yeah I the, know what you mean the greatest matches of all time to take place at Starcade and now you have Norman Smiley and fucking Prince Iakea. I know it's just like you know oh he, he looked like he. Really jaw jacked him with that kick to the face. Holy oh, shit! Yeah. There's one person I think I saw, you know, just jawed a person in the face, and when he was laying in the ring, Daniel Bryan when he did it to Brock Lesnar, and he just left a footprint on Lesnar's cheek. Yes, I remember. It was from Survivor Series, right? That's right. Yeah. The first match, you know, that the dream match that I think people wanted to see. You know, what'd you think of that match? Well, I mean, uh, I felt like it was pretty good. I mean, it was a little exciting when Daniel Bryan made this comeback after he took. The biggest ass whooping as Brock Lesnar always liked to do in his uh, rule book, even uh, especially I'm sure it was Vince's idea. Yeah, and um, you know when he gave him that low blow and he gave that running knee, I thought for sure that it was going to be over. But when he kicked, you thought Brian was going to be Brock. I thought for sure. Okay, 
But um, but deep down, I think I knew that Lesnar was going to go with the win because he's, even though you're he's Brock, yeah, it's kind of like you know when Jerry Lawler mentioned you know about Andre the Giant in the in the HBO documentary when he when he wrestled him, he said even though you weren't going to beat Andre, that just you were going to he would let you sell anything you did to him, yeah, and then. Of course, Andre would go for the win because that's where, you know, Andre the Giant is was seven foot four, nearly five hundred pounds, and he was indestructible. He was a giant, public. yeah. I mean, it was, he, it's, hard, kinda, it's hard to book someone to beat him, of course. And eventually, they had they had Hogan do it, but you know, that's another discussion for another day. As we see um, a a head scissor here by Norman Smiley to Prince Iakea. Um, you know, it's interesting now you look and, uh, you know, for instance, you know, IAK is barefoot here. You know, a lot of those island style wrestlers, the Samoans, they used to be barefoot. Yeah. You don't see a whole lot of that nowadays. Yeah. Um, Rusev was probably the last guy that you could, you could, uh, you could say was, uh, one of the barefoot, you know, that was barefoot. They let him, they continued to let him wrestle barefoot until he broke his foot and then they forced him to wear boots, um, which obviously it's a safety issue, but, um, yeah, I think it was something that Kamala had problems with, you know, when he, with his gimmick, you know, he, he wrestled barefoot and yep. he was the Ugandan giant. He started that gimmick, I think in world class. Yep. He did when you're he was, absolutely right. And, uh, of course, you know, I don't believe he was the first barefoot wrestler though. Oh yeah, that's right. He he wasn't. I'm sh- there was, I think there were other guys like, I don't know if it was Antonio Rocco that was barefoot. Yeah, he definitely was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's probably that's probably you're probably right, Daryl. That's probably the first barefoot wrestler that I could think of. But yeah. um, you know, n- now the 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 only current barefoot wrestler I think that's out there is uh, NXT's uh, Matt Riddle. Yeah. The the former MMA fighter. What do you think of Matt Riddle, um, in WWE and NXT? I think he'll, I think he'll probably improve. I mean, I mean not not as big in a way, you know. I mean, you know, he could he could do his own thing, you know. And you think he'll be a big star if he can really learn from people from like from like NXT, like guys like Triple H, who's like behind the scenes and yep. everything. I think you know he'll he just if he wants to keep it up, you know, he can he could probably get a chance. Yep. Okay. I All mean, because. Right. Uh, also, I mean, like, there were some MMA fighters that were like, you know, that went into pro wrestling yeah. after that. I mean, they were before. That was like before they became MMA fighters. I mean, guys like Dan Severn, of course. Yeah. You know, he's got a great background in wrestling, and he used from his when he started in the UFC. Mm-hmm. And um, after his trip to the UFC, he became the NWA champion, which he beat Chris Candido, and he held the title for almost four years. And uh, Ken oh, wow. Shamrock, of course, you know. The first time I ever heard of the UFC was when Ken Shamrock came. Yep. And then after Shamrock, Dan Severn came along and, you know, and they just tried to work an angle between the two of them, but I don't think it worked out well because they had problems with each other because they fought each other in the UFC. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's also good for, like, MMA fighters to break into pro wrestling if they have a real good wrestling background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, absolutely. Good wrestling background here by Norman Smiley as he... Uh working on the arm of Prince Iakea, Prince Iakea kicking out of that cover with holding his big toe on the bottom rope. <laughs> of course. Billy Silverman, your referee, trying to check if Iakea is still in the match as Iakea is now fighting back against Screaming Norman Smiley. I'm sure most of you out there that are watching this along and, and listening are 
probably wondering why we're doing a watch along of a match like this. Well, unfortunately, WCW thought that this was a great fucking idea to put Norman Smiley and Prince motherfucking Ikea on 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 Starcade, which is their WrestleMania, uh, the biggest show of the year, and and you put the bathroom break match on in the middle of the pay per view. Uh, in 1998, these two motherfuckers shouldn't have never been near the goddamn pay per view. They should have been watching it from the back with the rest of them. Um, <laughs> as we see that big wiggle coming into play with Norman Smiley showing his magic to all the fans. Oh, double underhook. Oh, nice suplex. Nice cradle on the bridge. Oh, kick out by screaming Norman Smiley. Well, he wasn't screaming at this point yet, yeah. but I certainly was when this match was on the TV because I was like, God damn. And what, what bothers me about this show is that, like, I know the injuries happened, and there were a lot of guys that... There was a fair amount of guys that were hurt, but there were so many stars in WCW at the time that you couldn't put together a better a, a better card than this. You put these two guys on, and like I said, not any disrespect to them as talents and performers, but they didn't have characters that connected with an audience, and they didn't have storylines that were very intriguing. If they, I don't believe these two were in a storyline with each other. I think these two were just... They told them you're going to go out there and wrestle each other. And I just thought, with all the guys that you have on that roster, I mean, you had the Steiner brothers. Like, I thought Stark. Here's what I pictured as a kid and how Starcade 98 was going to look. Brett and Hogan, Goldberg and Nash, Flair and Bischoff, um, Sting and Brett. I thought we would have seen the Steiners go at it in a match. Um, I thought we would have maybe seen like some kind of NWO tag between like the Wolf Pack and the Red and Black. Um, I thought maybe uh, Jericho would have done something with like um, maybe Booker T. Booker T wasn't even on this card. Chris Benoit wasn't on this card. Um, I mean, it was it was very like I said. I was like, am I watching Starkid or am I watching Thunder? You or know? am I watching WCW Worldwide or yeah, Saturday or night? Worldwide, yeah. I mean, or Saturday night because I think Saturday night was still going on at this time. But um, yeah, I was just very, I don't know. And we'll con- and it'll continue here as as time goes on with some of the other matches on this card. I believe coming up after this match, if I'm not mistaken, let me look at my notes here. Um, coming up after this, well, there's going to be a, there's going to be, well, we'll discuss. I won't spoil it for the for the listeners out there, but. Uh, there's going to be a promo of sorts. And then the following match after this pro, after the promo is going to be, well, like I said, I'm not going to spoil it. I'll let you guys wait on the edge of your seats here for the, the, the thrilling performances from the stars of World Championship Wrestling in 1998. As if this match couldn't be any fucking longer. My God, I'm getting bored to tears here with these two motherfuckers. I know. I think I'm getting a headache from this. Yeah. Especially I mean, when he's doing the magic. Yeah, the big wiggle. I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on. You know? Yeah. I mean, but um, I always remember, like, in, in 1998, how red-hot WCW was. I mean, NWO, Hollywood, NWO Wolfpack, Goldberg, Diamond Dallas Page, you know? You know, oh, another guy who I thought was going to be a part of this card, Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior was part of WCW. I thought maybe they yeah. would have done something with him and Sting as like a team, or maybe even like one on one against each oh, other. Definitely, you know? that's right. There was, I mean, like those two. Started I thought that like this Starcade could have been better than the the previous year with all the guys they had on the roster, and for whatever reason, things just didn't work out. I, I was mean, just, I was very disappointed. I mean, the last pay per view of 1998 in WCW, when with the card being better, was like 
if I can picture it, Halloween Havoc 98. I mean, like, you had a really good card of some matches, you know. You had guys like, you know, the Steiners wrestling each other. You had, like, um... Hogan Warrior, DDP yeah. Goldberg, Sting Paul and Nash, Sting and Brett. Um, even the Jericho Raven match was really good. Yeah, that was a real good match. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they had a great... It was a... Even though the show, you know, the, 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 the satellite feed went out early, but, um, the, uh... The card was pretty good, for the most part. They had some matches that didn't belong on there, like Saturn and Lodi, yeah. um, and uh, I believe Wrath and Meng were part of that card. Alex Wright and Finley. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, finally, thank fucking oh. God, my goodness, oh. Prince Iakea tapping out to a crossface chicken wing from the Wiggle Man, screaming Norman Smiley, the future screaming Norman Smiley, the future WCW Hardcore Champion. Screaming Norman Smiley. Thank fucking God. My goodness, I can't take this shit anymore. Yeah, neither could I. But even, I mean, but that would seem like, you know, probably his moment, you know, in a, in a pay-per-view before he became Yeah, Norman, Norman Smiley. You know, everyone talks about having a WrestleMania moment. Norman Smiley had a Starcade moment, and it was him defeating Prince IOK in a match nobody gave a shit about. So congratulations. <laughs> you got your moment. Um, not taking away his talent or his ability and what he contributes at the WWE Performance Center today because um, he's a, a hell of a technician and somebody that definitely knows how to wrestle, but just don't do it at Starcade 98. Ever again in the history of ever as we see the bad guy chico scott hall making his way towards the ring here not dressed in his wrestling gear um this was an interesting year for scott hall 1998 personally and professionally he kind of went through a lot of stuff behind the scenes i've heard stories of you know issues with drugs and alcohol and personal stuff with his wife and you know a divorce and custody issues with his kids and uh just not it was not fun being scott hall here um and they kind of played up the uh the idea of him, um, you know, uh, having these issues on TV, they use the storyline. What did you think of the Scott Hall storyline where he was, um, where they like portrayed him as being an alcoholic? Did you think it was, do you think it was the right thing to do? Do you think it was in bad taste? I think it was in bad taste because, you know, to show your personal life, you know, outside of the business, you know, to the public, it seemed like. To me, would be really, you know, embarrassing and and kind of sad in a way, you know. Yeah. Just, just to have it, thousands of people and millions of people all over the world watching on TV to witness something like this. I mean, I will say, you know, I talked about it earlier with uh, Bischoff's podcast. Uh, hold on one second. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Come on, give it to us. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, yo. <laughs> um, now, Bischoff has said on his podcast that it was a big mistake, that they shouldn't have done that, that he should not have um, uh, exploited Scott Hall and his family out there like that. Um, he's got a pretty sweet T-shirt. I always love that Outsider shirt. I yeah. always wanted to get one of those. In fact, I think when um, that time when Nikki and I went to go meet him at the Northeast Wrestling Show a few years back, yeah. uh, he... Um, Jim McCall. He was uh, he was selling the shirt. 
He was selling outsider shirts, the same one with the NWO logo on the side of the sleeve over there. I almost bought one, but uh, I'll have to put the picture up on our social media of, uh, of of me and the wife with the bad guy, Chico, Reza Ramon, or Scott Hall, the outsider, whatever you want to call him. But yeah, this is the interview here. He's talking about how he just kind of had a shitty 1998. At this point, I believe he, was, he wasn't he was in the NWO. He was kicked out of both NWOs. He was Nash didn't want anything to do with him because he turned his back on Nash and the NWO Hollywood kind of wanted nothing to do with him because of his of his uh, his personal issues with the drinking and all the other stuff. So he called, I believe he called himself the Lone Wolf at this time, and he was kind of by himself and he was trying to earn back Kevin Nash's trust and his friendship. Um, and Scott Hall will play a pivotal part later in the main event. We won't get, you know, we won't spoil it for you. Who, any of you that are listening, that are, you know, watching this event for the very first time, that didn't know what took place, there will not be any spoilers. But um, yeah, he's, he's saying here, you know, he needs to prove himself to to the people and to himself. And uh, you know, I just thought putting his personal life out there, it was. I mean, back then, all bets were off in wrestling, unfortunately. This was 1998. You had the Attitude Era. You know, Mark Henry got a blowjob from a prostitute a few weeks prior that was named Sammy. And uh, <laughs> not a prostitute, a transvestite. Um, you know, that's why they call me Sammy, baby. Sweet Jesus! You got a penis! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, all bets were off in 1998. Between that, and you, you, they hung people from crosses hanging in the middle of the fucking ring. Or I'm sorry, it wasn't a cross. As Bruce Pritchard would say, it was a symbol. It was the Undertaker's symbol that hung Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, they did all kinds of crazy shit in wrestling. So this didn't surprise me that they exploited his personal life out there um, and and brought up the fact that he had been suffering from some issues with uh, substance abuse, with alcohol and drugs. So. Uh, all bets were off in '98, but um, it seemed like in this in this interview that um, they were kind of doing away with that. They realized, like, all right, we'll stop doing the, the the drunk Scott Hall, and 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 you know, it looked like they were gonna, yeah, shut up and wrestle. Exactly, that's funny. <laughs> Science to shut up and wrestle there, but yeah, it looked like they were going in a different path, different direction for. Um, the original outsider, the very first invader of W. C.W. Scott Hall. Look at this. Bam Bam Bigelow. The Beast from the East from Asbury Park. Asbury Park, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Beating up on Scott Hall there in the video package. Um, Bam Bam, another individual who's, you know, going to play a part in the main event later. A lot of guys playing parts in the main event. Um, I think that's why people have issues with Starcade. But, yeah, he... um. Bam Bam was was targeting, uh, you know, Nash and Hall and Goldberg. He was just he was on a rampage heading into WCW, um, and I was uh, I thought it was kind of I, I I didn't I didn't have a problem with Bam Bam Bigelow, but I just didn't think it was what 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 was the point of him uh, being involved in this stuff with with Goldberg and, and Nash? You should have just let Goldberg and Nash stay, you know, having issues with each other. Maybe introduce Bam Bam. At a later date. I was just afraid they were going to put Bam Bam in the NWO. Because everyone was in the fucking NWO at that point. Yeah. I mean, uh, even the, some of the younger rest talent complained when they told stories about where, like, they didn't want to get beat up by the NWO because it, get, it got really boring and old for all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the NWO was red hot. And, and if even, you weren't in the NWO, you weren't, you know, 
you weren't red hot. A lot of video packages regarding Goldberg and Nash's match on this pay-per-view. Multiple. This is the second one here discussing. Uh, there we see, yep, Scott Hall. He was, like I said, trying to get in the good graces of Nash. Even though Nash wanted no part of him. And, yeah, I just wasn't, you know. I, I, I just wanted Nash and Goldberg straight up because I was, I was... You know, I didn't. It didn't need. It didn't need uh, Bam Bam Bigelow involved uh, heading into the buildup because Nash was one of my favorites. Here's another match that does not belong on the WCW Starcade event: the Cat Ernest Miller, who is being accompanied by one of the greatest used car salesmen in the history of the automobile industry, Sonny Ono. Oh yeah. Uh, earlier this week, I was watching um, WCW Starcade 1995 from three years uh, prior to this, and it was that event where they did the World Cup of Wrestling with Team WCW versus Team New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, and Sonny Ono was out for every single match with every single guy, all seven guys that were a part of the team. Um he came out individually each time with each guy to wrestle all the WCW guys. Um, I thought that was an interesting. Have you ever watched that Starcade before '95? Um, I saw one match that you know that Sonny Ono was in in the outside of the ring, and he had Kensuke Sasaki, who was the U.S. champion, and he wrestled Sting. The the the, the last match when WCW last won match. it. Uh, no, I did. That, that was the only one match I saw. Was I'm the, saying that was the was that the match from that Starcade. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, that was the match that WCW like. It was the the final match of the, of that that series. Sting won it for them. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I believe. Okay, I believe that it is. I mean, I'm not, not sure. I, not trying to confuse you. Yeah, but no, they had that match at, at that pay per view. Honestly, if I were you, when you get done with this this evening, when you when you head home, you. You should put that Starcade on. It's probably one of the better Starcades from uh, an in-ring uh, standpoint. Eddie Guerrero wrestles um, Otani. Uh, who else is on that card? Uh, Masa Saito against Johnny B. Bad. Lex Luger against Masahiro Chono. Chris Benoit and Jushin Thunder Liger. I mean, there's a lot of good matches that were part of that little uh, that best of seven series with uh, Team WCW and the New Japan Pro Wrestling Group. So, and there's also uh, a world title match on there, a triangle match to see who faces the world champion. Probably one of the better Starcades, in my opinion, uh, from an in-ring standpoint. One that's very underrated, that doesn't get enough, uh, doesn't get enough credit. So that's something you should probably check out. That was Starcade 1995. Absolutely. I'll, I'll As Ernest Miller told someone to call his mama because he was about to whoop somebody um, while we were talking through all of that. His opponent is an individual who I enjoyed watching as a kid. I thought he was one of the, the not cooler characters, but I, I liked how tough he was and how rugged and physical his matches were. Perry Saturn. What did you think of Perry Saturn? Oh, I, I thought Perry Saturn was really good. I mean, you know, the way he, I mean, the way he wrestled and the way that he would you know, he would walk to the ring. I mean, the way he dressed, you know, differently, like he was like, almost like some kind of a... Weirdo? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it seemed like... But surprisingly, you know, people just, you know, love this guy, you know, when, when you see him. And, um, and you know, he was also one of Raven... A member of Raven's flock, you know, he... At one point, yes, he was. Yeah. You were exactly right. And he was... Uh, 
he was, and before he came to WCW, he was in ECW. He was one of the eliminators, of course. With John Cronus, former ECW World Tag Team Champions. You are correct, my my brother. You are correct. And yet, and even on Monday Night Raw, he was involved in the the first ever ECW invasion at the Manhattan Center, where he and Cronus did that famous uh, spin. total elimination. Yeah, call, one, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the spin kick. Yeah. Yeah, one of the uh, I think it was one of the cameramen or somebody who was in the ring. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. That was interesting. Another match that didn't belong on this show. Well, I mean, I don't know. The cat was entertaining, and I like Saturn because Saturn is very physical. I remember watching a match with Saturn and Rick Steiner once and, on Thunder, and those guys beat the shit out of each other just with, like, fists. It looked like a, 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 a fun little brawl. But um, a year prior at, at Starcade 97, Saturn filled in for Raven and wrestled Benoit. On the card. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember that. Because they were doing that storyline where Raven was afraid to wrestle Benoit at one point. Um, but, uh, yeah, another match. Yeah, I, I still wouldn't have put the. Yeah, I, I take that statement back. I would not have put this match on Starcade. It didn't need it, in my opinion. They must have been really hard up for talent, or guys must have been hurt, or guys just didn't want to show up because they had them big fat fucking contracts and didn't want to wrestle um, because. If you've got to trudge these two out there on, on, on Starcade, the the WrestleMania of WCW, then you you definitely got a problem there. I mean, I would have taken Bam Bam Bigelow and Scott Hall over this match and over Norman Smiley and, and Prince Iakaya and over the next match that we're going to get into at some point, the, 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 the tag team match. But so you see Saturn nailing Ernest the Cat Miller with, um, with a right hand, sending him out to the arena floor. I liked I liked bad guy Ernest the Cat Miller. He was pretty funny. What did you think of uh, the Cat Ernest Miller? Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, he is pretty funny. I give him that. You know, he he comes out with his entrance and says, "I'm the greatest," and you know, he just he would dance with his feet and just and all that stuff. The red shoes, James Brown, the whole nine. Yeah. Yeah, and he mentioned that I'm a three time world karate fighting champion. This and that. Yep, I remember that. And near the end of WCW, he was getting a really good position when he didn't wrestle a lot. He was... Uh, <laughs> Look at that spot. Yeah. He tried to slide in and clip his feet and came up short. <laughs> yeah. Saturn putting the boots to to Ernest the Cat Miller. Yeah, I mean, he... Um, he I think he got a, uh, a, a bad rap because it was rumored for the longest time that he helped train uh, Eric Bischoff's kid in karate. And I think Ernest was part of... Um, uh, some karate tournaments with Eric Bischoff at one point, but um, he, for someone who didn't have much experience in the wrestling business, he wasn't bad. I mean, he wasn't great, but he was entertaining. I mean, he managed to to parlay this into a role as the commissioner of WCW. A couple of years later, he got a job in WWE. He was a commentator for a little while on uh, said uh, what's not it wasn't SmackDown. It was a uh, um, Sunday Night Heat? Either Sunday Night Heat or Velocity. One of those two shows, he was a commentator with Josh Matthews for a little while. And then they did the, um, he, he they brought the, they brought this gimmick back where he was, you know, the, I'm the greatest. And, and he had the little, uh, I forget the guy's name, with the wig. And they had the red shoes and he did the cape and he came out to somebody call my mama, somebody <laughs> call my mama. And, uh, that was funny for a little while. And uh, that ended pretty quickly. But um, 
He was also in The Wrestler. That's right. I remember that. What was his character's name in The Wrestler? He played uh, like a like an Iron Sheik kind of character. What was his name? Oh, oh my God. I'm trying to remember what it is. I mean, because I remember watching the movie. I, of course, I remember me and Justin and you went to see it. And uh, Yep, that's right. We did. Ayatollah, I think. I think he his was, name was the Ayatollah. Ayatollah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, that's a good memory. Yeah. I, I fucking forgot about that shit. I mean, it, even with the wrestler, I thought it was a, it was really good for wrestling fans to see it because you know, and uh, I mean, with Mickey Rourke's character, remind me a little bit of a story of like guys like Jake Roberts, who was like at the time not always on the hill, you know, and not really good relationship with his family and his kids and all that stuff. And I thought it was a really good movie for Mickey Rourke, even though he got. A Golden Globe win but an Oscar nomination yep. for it. I mean, it was still a really good movie. It was. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I mean, and it and it showed uh, a, a it showed a side of the business that you know showed a side of the wrestling industry that a lot of people didn't think was a, was fair. But it's it 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 was a it was a dark side of wrestling that there you've heard stories similar to that and there's a lot of wrestlers that could relate to that story that the Randy the Ram character um, was going through that Mickey Mickey Rourke had played at the time here and uh, Sonny Ono uh, interesting choice for a suit at Starcade I mean I guess he's kind of matching the color scheme there yeah. uh, but. Um, he looks like a he looks like a fucking bottle of mustard. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, you know. it doesn't match, you know, Ernest Miller's you know tights of his. Uh, you know. I mean, it doesn't have to match, but like I just still think he looks fucking silly with the 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 the, the mustard yellow. Like like I said, like I, I like I look at him, I want to eat a fucking hot dog right now and put some ketchup <laughs> on it. You know, Saturn's. <laughs> All right, now we're really taking this too far. Saturn's wearing the red, and he looks like a bottle of ketchup and. Sonny Ono is wearing the yellow, and he looks like a bottle of mustard. So Ernest Miller must be the fucking hot dog. So this is the hot dog match, basically. <laughs> so if you're watching this match, you ought to go eat a hot dog. Make yourself some hot dogs right now while this match is going on. Go get a hot dog if you if you haven't already. If you don't have hot dogs in the house, go to the store. Get, get some hot dogs. By the time you go to the store, get the hot dogs and come back. Hopefully, hopefully this fucking match will be over with, too, because this is another match that does not belong on fucking Starcade. What the fuck? I mean, come on, guys, people from the backstage of WCW, come on. Yeah, I know, right? Seriously. Fucking ridiculous. Nice little suplex, though, by Saturn. Um, Saturn, a guy who, unfortunately, he's all the head injuries he has suffered um, in his career in wrestling has affected his memory. Um, and he's not, in health-wise, in the greatest of shape. Um, but he seems to be doing better than he was before. He was homeless for a few years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was... In Minnesota, he was living. He was homeless. He had disappeared, like fell off the face of the earth. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on with him. Um, I heard an interview with him um, on Jericho's podcast, I think, like a couple of years ago, and he told some stories about the backstage scene um, in the politics in WCW. For instance, an issue he had with uh, Mike Graham, who's no longer with us. And Mike Graham, uh, I guess, uh, didn't really care for him and and Benoit and Guerrero and all those other guys that, that, that were together. Um, but, uh, you know, he sounded in the interview like... He sounded pretty good. He didn't sound like someone who was going through, like, you know, concussion issues or memory loss. He sounded like he had his wits together. Like, he, he, was, he was coherent. You can comprehend what he was saying. 
but unfortunately, you know, like I said, his years of 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 destroying his body and wrestling, and all the headshots he's taken, as well as I'm sure, you know, his uh, his participation with uh, substance abuse didn't help the, the matter either. Neither did that super kick by Ernest the Cat Miller. He's going to call his mother, but before he does, he's not even going to go for the cover. Uh, He's going to tell Sonny Ono to take that mustard jacket off, motherfucker, and get in this ring right now, and you're going to help me whoop this boy as we see Sonny Ono getting ready. Oh, what the heck? He dropped, he him. dropped him, and now Sonny's going to go after him again. And why the referee hasn't called for the bell? Because he's about to disqualify himself. Oh! But he doesn't disqualify, you, you know? know? He, what you doing, boy? Why are you hitting me? Oh, he kicked him in the face. He kicked the mustard Hopefully down. this is, yep, the ketchup. The ketchup is now taking over the hot dog. Death Valley driver. One, two, three. Thank fucking God! This match um, is over with. Perry said, Jesus. <laughs> he almost well, fell over that rope, you dummy. Well, the ketchup almost fell down. Yeah, the ketchup. Ketchup's down. Ketchup's down. Ketchup's down. Oh, my God. The ketchup is down. The mustard is down. The hot dog has been eaten. Oh, my goodness. We got ketchup, <laughs> mustard, and hot dog all over this goddamn place at the MCI Center at Starcade. It's a slobber knocker. It's a hot dog slobber knocker. And, of course, Ted Turner had spilled his beer and his hot dog and ketchup and mustard all over his thousands of dollar pants that he's wearing. <laughs> oh my god, we've really gone <laughs> off the rails here. Got That's it. how bad this match is that we basically had to entertain ourselves with the, the, the color coordination of these individuals' clothing and uh, yeah, that, that never again will I ever describe a match as a hot dog match. So that was the first, last, and only time here on Kicking Out It 2. Someone who's probably, uh, you know, w- would like to wash down uh uh, a couple of cocktails after having a few hot dogs is one mean Gene Oakland right here. And he's going to come out and introduce, I believe, Nature Boy Ric Flair, if I am not mistaken. The one and only. The Nature for this. Yeah, it's yeah. there we are. Four fingers in the air. He's got that beautiful robe on. It looks brand new. Yep, that a new robe by... Uh, Olivia Walker, I believe, made that robe for uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Um, this Flair is going to come out and hype the, the, the match with Eric Bischoff. A, a real-life storyline of two of them having their differences behind the scenes that they, uh, they, they parlayed it into a, a, a rivalry and a, and a match setting up here at Starcade. Um, mean, woo, by God, Gene. The limousine riding, kiss dealing, wheeling dealing, jet flying, son of a gun. That's right. The Woo! Na- the nature boy. Woo! Yeah. Uh, hyping this matchup later on this evening against Eric Bischoff. Apparently, Eric Bischoff, uh, prior to this interview, uh, is forcing Ric Flair to ban the four horsemen from ringside, which does not surprise me in the least bit. That's something that Bischoff would have done back in 1998 with the NWO. But, um... All right, let me. We we did a show, Justin and I, recently about authority figures and and, re- and bosses with wrestling, and I've always felt like Eric Bischoff doesn't get enough credit for his contributions as a character and for what he brought to the 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 evil boss because people always remember Mr. McMahon because he was so good at it, but Bischoff was the one that really pioneered it first. Did you think that? What did you think of the Flair Bischoff rivalry? I thought it was pretty good to watch because yeah. 
I mean, when Flair came back, you know, when they did the Four Horsemen reunion, yep. which was also a surprise. You know, you've seen, you know, Benoit, you've seen McMichael, and uh, you've seen uh, Anderson, who is a year later, a year ago, he retired because of an injury. He's now a manager of the Horsemen. But there was a new member of the Horsemen, which really surprised me, was Dean Malenko. And, yep. um, of course, when Flair, you know, cut the promo and saying that, you know, the Horseman originally wasn't supposed to come back. The Horseman was supposed to be disbanded forever. And Flair was like, you know, as going as wild as he is right now on camera, you know, just saying that, you know, disband the Horseman, they're dead. The NWO, they're the new real de- deal. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, Flair, I mean, Bischoff comes out. I don't know if it was, you know, out of character or in character. Flair took off his jacket and, you know, he went berserk as ever. And he told Bischoff how much he really sucks in I hate your guts and everything, and and that famous line where he says, you are a liar, you're a cheat, you're a scam, you are a no-good son of a bitch. Yeah, you are an asshole. (laughs) Fire me! I'm already fired! Fire me! And, of course, his mouth was bleeding. That was one of the best moments ever on uh, on Nitro, for sure. But um, did you think that Flair and Bischoff was a ripoff of Austin and McMahon? Oh, look at this. Another video package, this time highlighting uh, the outsiders here and the the formation of the NWO, the infamous jackknife powerbomb through the staging, and then the, the big setup here. They're talking about how they got Bischoff on board to... He was the brains behind the whole NWO thing. Um, yeah, I, th- I believe this uh, this video package here is highlighting the the history of <clears throat> excuse me of uh, how Bischoff kind of came into power and how he uh, he 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 kind of his character ran amok on WCW. Like this was the moment here where you see Piper kind of exposed him to be the liar and Bischoff never really tried to sign Piper against Hogan at that Starcade in 96, but um following that Bischoff would eventually, you know, like you said, his character would become drunk with power, power hungry, there you see. Um but did you think Flair and did you think just quickly, did you think Flair Oh, this is one of my favorites. Oh, he yeah. fired Randy Anderson. Yeah, of course. And Randy Anderson, you know, and then brings his family. This is the best part. When the kids want his job, when the kids are trying to get his job back. He's like, can you please tell your daddy that he's still fired? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and especially, you know, they took the tag titles off of the Steiners. I mean, when they beat the Outsiders, that NWO sold out. So what I'm getting at here is, do you think, did you think Bischoff Flair was a ripoff of Austin and McMahon? Because Austin and McMahon had their rivalry this that pretty much kicked off in 1998 and pretty much lasted all of 98. Do you think Bischoff Flair was a a ripoff of the Austin McMahon storyline? I would have to say it was a ripoff because, you know, I mean, it was like, you know, like you said, you know, Austin and McMahon's rivalry lasted almost a full year in 98. Yep. And, uh, you know, that rivalry between uh, Flair and Bischoff started, you know, when Flair came back in September. It was like the end of the summer. Uh-huh. And uh, it was like, it, it was kind of like it was too little too late, you know. Yeah. But Austin okay. and McMahon was. But you still thought guess. it was good, though, Flair and Bischoff. Right. Yeah, I still thought it was pretty good, but it just know. wasn't. It wasn't as good as Austin McMahon, obviously. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I mean, I, 
I dug it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, it obviously wasn't Austin McMahon, but it was something that was taken from behind the scenes that was real in real life. Here you mentioned that moment just a moment ago, Flair returning and uh, with the horseman and Bischoff humi- trying to humiliate him. Um, was not a big fan of Steve McMichael and the horseman. We just saw a shot of him yeah. moments ago. Didn't really care for Mongo. Um, yeah, he was just a, a former football player who won Do you Super remember Bowl. this? Look at this. Yeah. Do you remember oh, yeah. that? The angle where Flair had that heart attack. They tried to say he had a heart attack? Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of stupid. I didn't really like that at all because I believe at the time, I think I read it in Flair's book, they, um, they tried to... Flair couldn't tell his wife, Beth, at the time, as you see moments ago. She's right there with Doug Dillinger. Um, He couldn't tell her about the storyline. So she thought on TV that he really had a heart attack in the ring because he was going wild cutting that promo. Yeah. And that, like like we talked about it earlier with Scott Hall and his his issues with alcohol and drugs. Um, like I said, you know, 1998, the story, the storylines in wrestling overall were pretty wild. Uh, speaking of wild, here's big pop pump, Scott Steiner and buff Bagwell as they enter Conan's dressing room to cause a stir, if you will. And this was, this was, if you remember correctly, Scott Steiner was the leader of the NWO black and white. Cause Hulk Hogan had to walk away from, Wrestling because he was going to become the president of the United States. He was running for president of the United States of America, which ended up being a big publicity stunt. We'll get into that another time. But uh, we see Luger here yeah. trying to stop Conan from making a silly decision. Yeah. Nice jersey Lex has got on. <laughs> yeah, FUBU was a very popular clothing brand in the 90s, the late 90s, um, amongst a lot of the youngsters, myself included. I don't think I owned any FUBU clothing, but... Uh, um, I thought the name was kind of silly, FUBU, yeah. for us, by us, as we get to another match, the third fucking match on this card that does not belong on Starcade. Of course Brian not. Adams, Crush, who was once formerly known as Crush, Kona Crush, Shaka Brada, yeah. and, Demolition and Scott Crush. Norton, Demolition Crush, that's right, I forgot, accompanied by... Virgil, the meat sauce mafia leader, Mr. Olive Garden breadstick eater himself, Vincent, Virgil, accompanying to the ring, accompanying them to the ring for a tag team match on Starcade. Now, if these two were wrestling, let's say, the NWO Wolfpack, if it was like Luger and Conan, okay, I can get behind that because the NWO Black and White and the NWO Red and Black had beef for throughout the course of 1998 when they split the group up. However, they're wrestling Fit Finley, who's a great wrestler, hell of a hell of a physical specimen, a tough Irish bastard, and Jerry fucking Flynn, who has no business even being in the building at this point, let alone heading to the ring for a match at fucking Starcade. Damn you, WCW backstagers. <laughs> yeah, for real. One, I remember watching this with a couple of friends, and I was like, what, what is this match? Why are they putting this match on? Nobody cares to see these two teams go at it. Now, I'll be honest with you. Crush, he was okay at Brian Adams. 
Virgil was Virgil. He's a nobody. I could have cared less for him. But I liked Scott Norton. I thought Scott Norton was a good physical wrestler. Like, honestly, going back now, thinking about this, I would have gotten rid of Jerry Flynn. I would have gotten rid of Brian Adams. I would have gotten rid of Vincent. I would have done Scott Norton versus Finley in some cor- some some kind of street fight. I mean, they didn't have any issues with each other going into this pay-per-view. This, was, this match was just thrown together at the last minute. But I would have done Finley and... Norton in like a Belfast brawl of some kind and really let the two of them beat the fucking shit out of each other. That's just me personally, but what the fuck do I know? <laughs> yeah. They but were yeah. just here for a big paycheck. Yeah. I mean, like I said, they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel if you had to put this on as a tag match. Um, Jerry Flynn, what did he do? He probably lost to Goldberg like 17 times. Yeah. During that streak, and all those matches probably took place on Thunder Worldwide or WCW Saturday Night. <laughs> so I don't know how he gets a spot in the Starcade card, but nonetheless, he did, and I thought it was pretty silly. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Finley in WCW, but I really liked him in WWE. My name is Finley. And I love to fight. Like, I loved that the, the entrance and the, the Irish music and the physical matches he had with, like, Batista and Undertaker and, and, and shit like that. And I was a big Finley fan. What did you think of Finley in WCW? And then what did you think of Finley in WWE? Uh, first of all, I mean, I think Finley was involved in the... A TV title match, I think, with Booker T and Chris Benoit. Yep, he was a part of that. I, yeah, that's good memory. He was a part of that the, the, that rivalry at one point. That was solid stuff. Yeah, that, that was like, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed a little bit of his work, but it wasn't as good in WCW except when he was working with, again, with Benoit and Booker T for the TV title. But when he came to WWE, you know, he surprised me at his age. I yeah. Mean, I mean, he was older, and he was working with a lot of the younger guys, but he was really mixing it up. I mean, like I said, Booker T, Batista, Undertaker, Rey Mysterio, um, you know, the, the, the who's JBL, you know, that, yeah, he, that, that that fun little Belfast brawl they had at WrestleMania in Orlando in, tw- yeah. in 2008. I, I was there when... when yeah, when we were both there. We yeah, saw that match. Of course. Too. We were both there. Look at Norton just ramming through That's both right. of them. Norton, Double clothesline. Pretty big athletic dude, and Scott Norton really was. And who still wrestles for New Japan from time to time. He makes appearances for New Japan. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot. You know, he, he, he did wrestle for New Japan, and he was their IWGP heavyweight champion while he was still under contract with WCW and as a member of the NWO because I saw Really? Him. Yeah. I, didn't, I mean, I knew he wrestled for New Japan. I didn't know he was their champion when, the NW, when he was part of the NWO. But he did make a big name for himself in Japan. He was a, he was a big... Uh, he reminded me a lot of um, a a bigger, more polished version of Stan Hansen. Very physical, uh, you know, stiff with the clotheslines, the slams, the kicks. Uh, I mean, he his his wrestling wasn't pretty, but what he did, it worked, and it was effective. You know, his his, his style. Yeah, I mean, he looked good. You know, he looked all muscled up, and you know, he obviously trains real hard at the gym. Every single week, he goes on the road. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, he was a pretty good athlete, you know, for, yeah. for a guy like him. Yep. And, uh, and I also, if I'm not mistaken, I think I heard from Road Warrior Animal story that, you know, he went to high school with Road Warrior Hawk. And I believe you are correct. I believe Norton was a part of that, 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 that crew of people from Minnesota. Yeah, where they with, train at the gym. With, uh, 
I don't know if he trained for with Eddie Sharkey, but I know that like he there's he's got some affiliation because I believe Norton spent some time in AWA if I'm not mistaken. I believe he was I believe he was a part of AWA at one point um, towards the end of, of of the company's existence. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to go back and do a little bit of research there. But um, here's another thing, you know, before Scott Norton became a member of the NWO, he was part of a tag team called Fire and Ice. Yep, with uh, Ice Train. Yeah, that's right. And also, they were tag teams for a while, and then they suddenly broke off and they wrestled each other at Hogwild, and in a match, I think it was. And um, of course, I think. Um, Ice Train was uh, one of the trainers at uh, the WCW Power Plant after his I believe wrestling so. was over. So Norton was trained by Brad Regans. We know Brad Regans trained Brock Lesnar. He trained uh, Kurt Henning, I want to say. Um, Brad Regans was very uh, instrumental and responsible for... Um, he was a big part of AWA behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. He, um, he but did yeah, win Nor- like a- Norton appeared... In the AWA in 1989, and he sometimes teamed with John Nord, who ended up becoming the Berserker, as the Yukon Lumberjacks. Um, he would then challenge world champions Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and Larry Zbysko to, an, to a TV arm wrestling match. He would call them out on TV. If anyone beat him, he would pay them in kayfabe terms, uh, I believe a hundred or close to a million dollars. Um he left the AWA at the end of 89, went to the Pacific Northwest Territory. Um, he did a lumberjack gimmick there at one point, um, reforming a team with the berserker John Nord. And then uh, he ended up winning the Pacific Northwest Heavyweight Championship on May the 12th of 1990 against, of all people, his tag team partner in this match, Brian Adams. Um he then would go on to New Japan Pro Wrestling from 90 to 93. He would team, he alternated in tag teams and in mid-card singles matches. Um, he appeared at the New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, WCW Egg Dome, the Tokyo Egg Dome show, the joint events that he used to have. Uh, wrestling against the Steiner Brothers. He was a part of the IWGP Tag Team Championship Tournament as a substitute for the injured Scott Steiner. He teamed with Rick. Uh, and they lost to Hiroshi Hase and the great Muda. Uh, a year after, um, Norton won the tag team title with Tony Helm and beat the Steiners in, in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. They only hold the belts for three weeks after they lose to the Hellraisers, which became... Road Warrior Hawk and Power Warrior, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was that Kensuke Sasaki? I think so. I mean, because I heard some Kensuke Sasaki, Kensuke Sasaki, Kensuke Sasaki. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think it was Kensuki Sasaki because when Hawk, you know, what left, you know, WWF in 1992 because of some problems that I think he had, you know, and of course he and Animal weren't tag teaming for mm-hmm. like three years. He was in WCW on his own, and he went to japan and he made and he also and it was also like good in his heart to make a young japanese star like kintsugi sasaki a star if he was able to work with them as a tag team kind of like japan's new version of the road warriors which you know nobody can replace the original road warriors well, of as course much as not. we can he eventually ended up teaming with uh mike enos ron simmons masahiro chono Asumukido and Road Warrior Hawk at mul- on multiple occasions for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He joined WCW in 1993 and 
started a storyline with Sting, of all people. Um, he appeared in a dark match for the WWF in 1994 against losing to Bob Holly in October of 94. He would return to WCW in 95, I believe, at uh, uh, on Nitro. And he started something with Randy Savage for a little bit. And then he had the Fire and Ice tag team, like you said, with, uh, with, with Ice Train. And then, you know, his run in the NWO uh, as, a, as a member of Vicious and Delicious with him and Buff Bagwell. But you're right, Daryl, um, as I'm reading here, um, during his NWO days, he traveled back and forth to New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he was also a member of NWO Japan and became New Japan Pro Wrestling's Gaijin Ace, while also becoming one of the few wrestlers to be a regular member of both factions. He won the vacant IWGP Heavyweight Championship defeating Yuji Nagata and it was only mentioned once on television on a broadcast of Nitro as he was holding the belt but um, his standings with WCW never really changed mostly due to the fact of uh, Hollywood Hogan was the WCW World Heavyweight Champion so um, he would hold the IWGP title for four months before losing it to the great Muda um, and he is one of the uh, only eight foreign wrestlers that you know americans to have held the iwgp heavyweight championship vader uh salman hashemikov bob sap kurt angle brock lesnar aj styles and kenny omega so he's among an elite list of non-japanese wrestlers to be the iwgp world heavyweight championship is finally we are done with this fucking match thank god <laughs> Scott Norton and Brian Adams of NWO Hollywood, black and white, along with Meat Sauce Mafia leader, the king of the breadsticks himself, Vincent, Virgil, whatever you want to fucking call him, defeating Jerry Flynn. Ooh, that was a pretty stiff powerbomb there. And Fit Finley, who loves to fight. Um, yeah. Why was this match on the card? Who the fuck knows? If anybody knows this out there, by all means, please feel free to slide in my DMs, facebook.com forward slash kickinata2. Give me a good explanation as to why, 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 why that match was on the card. Why was Norman Smiley and Prince Iakea on Starcade 98? Why the fuck was the cat Ernest Miller and Perry Saturn on the Starcade 98 card? Please tell me. Give me a good, reasonable, logical explanation. Please, I'm begging you, over on social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out too. Or if you have Twitter, you can do it on Twitter as well. Our handle is at kicking out two, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T. And the number two, you can comment or you can slide in my DMs. And please give me a brief 140 characters or less reason why those three fucking matches were on the Starcade card. As we have another interview, another promo, because God forbid we need another reason to talk. We could have added more time to some better matches by doing a... No but this time we're going to do another promo because it's WCW. It doesn't make any fucking sense. As Mean Gene Oakland is out to introduce Eric Bischoff, the leader of the NWO, the, the, the brains behind the NWO. Um, Bischoff, the, uh, the the boss behind the scenes of WCW. There he is. Yeah, waving and got that smirk on his face. And, yeah, easy. And telling e. people that I'm the boss. Yeah. I, I run things here in WCW. Yeah. I mean, Justin and I kind of talked about it, and I think a lot of people um, thought it was rather silly that Bischoff thought he was good enough to beat 
you know, Ric Flair in this match. And I, I kind of rationalized the thought that, like, Bischoff was so power-hungry and he was drunk with power that, like, he couldn't... He really couldn't, uh, you know... Uh, he really couldn't comprehend that, like, he had no shot at beating Ric Flair. But in this interview here, Bischoff's going to basically state that the reason why Ric Flair is doing this match and the reason why he came back to WCW is because he's broke. <laughs> <laughs> that he spent way too much of his money being that kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, limousine-riding, jet-flying son of a gun. So now he needs a paycheck, and he's going to do it at the expense of WCW and Eric Bischoff. But I, I, I enjoyed the rivalry, and, you know, we, we'll discuss it a little bit more as the, as the night goes on with this match but um Eric Bischoff one of the underrated doesn't get enough credit for what he's contributed to wrestling both behind the scenes and in front of the camera one of my favorites I really enjoyed um his time as raw general manager I really enjoyed the stuff he did in WCW as part of the NWO and what he ended up doing to help make WCW a a viable threat to the WWF in the mid-90s. I thought Bischoff does not get enough credit for the good things he's done in wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I give him credit where credit is due, you know. I mean, like, for for what he's done, you know, for, like, uh, the beginning of the Monday Night Wars. That, yep. You know, when Nitro was on the air, the same night that WWE Raw was in, and, you know, the ratings were, like, you know, unbelievable for WCW, and WWE was, like, pretty much being ground and pound to the point where, you know, they're getting their ass whooped for the very first time since Vince McMahon was proceeded to take over the wrestling world. And, uh, you know, smart move on Bischoff. You know, he was able to uh, to uh, come up with some great ideas and, you know, and compete, you know, with Vince. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he brought in cruiserweight wrestling. He brought in, uh, you know, he brought in a lot of names to try and help legitimize WCW, even guys that were part of the, the WWF at the time. But, you know, Nitro and the cruiserweight concept and, you know, everything that he's I, – I think – where he doesn't get credit is the stuff that he did on Nitro, the way that he, television is produced. You kind of see some of that stuff similar on Monday nights today with Raw. I mean, you know, just the the, the, the style of producing with the camera work and, and the storytelling. They definitely took some elements of Nitro and have used it into their product from time to time. Is finally... This interview's over because we really needed an interview with Eric Bischoff in the middle of fucking Starcade. Um, Jesus Christ, was Vince Russo booking this show too? I mean, come on. Eric is king. Uh, at one time he was. And Canyon, does he equal ratings? Well, I don't know. Hogan for president? That's for sure. Um, 24 karat Goldberg. And Big G, you're next. Here we go. Chris Jericho along with Ralphus. As we get set for the WCW Television Championship match between Jericho and Conan. Um, you mentioned him earlier. Jericho thought he was better than being a Cruiserweight wrestler and wanted an opportunity to prove himself. And What did you think of Jericho in the TV Championship picture? What did you think of Jericho in the role? All right, so let me, let me stop for a minute here, okay, before I ask too many questions. We've all talked about, over the years, the stuff with Jericho and Goldberg. And how Jericho is really making a name for himself. And they didn't do anything with it. It didn't really amount to anything. 
do you think Jericho Goldberg on pay per view would have been a good would have been a good idea? I, th- it, I think it it probably could have if they just gave Jericho a chance. Yep. And but obviously they didn't because they were just obeying by their rule book of where, you know, the cruiserweights on the other hand are supposed to provide good matches and don't get over. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I would have liked to have seen it. I mean, Jericho, um, you know, he was entertaining. He was funny. Um, and I thought, like, Jericho, even though Ralphus was kind of silly, like, I thought Jericho, uh, he, was good, he was good enough of a bad guy that, like, I would have enjoyed seeing Goldberg beat him up, even if it was, you know, for a few minutes on pay-per-view. It it would, I think it would have helped Jericho. In my opinion, I, but you know, TV champion here, he was kind of, he really got, you know, his his, he really started to come into his own as a character in 1998. You know, with uh, the, the the interactions with the cruiserweight wrestlers, he unmasked Hoovy, he had that stuff with Dean Malenko, and then that turned into you know him becoming the TV champion. He set his sights on Goldberg, didn't really do anything, it didn't amount to much, and then he ends the year with with. Conan, who's bowdy bowdy and rowdy rowdy, oil oil of Olay all day every day. Ariba La Rasa, that's right. K Dog, the, uh, the 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 wolf pack mascot, so to speak. Um, I mean, he was people liked K Dog. Everyone repeated what he said. He he kind of reminded me of Road Dog from WWF and the New Age Outlaws. But um, yeah, I mean Jericho. What do you think of Jericho now? I mean, Jericho, all the stuff he's doing with New Japan, the, the, the cruise he had with, like, the Young Bucks and all the new the, the Ring of Honor guys. I mean, what, do you, what, do you have, what are your thoughts on Chris Jericho in 2018? I say Jericho's been doing really, really well, you know. I mean, he, uh, of course, he's done really well every time he comes back and he leaves WWE because of uh, the Fonzie thing that he does. And, um, the what? I mean, uh, his band, you know. That he's oh, Fozzie, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. And, um, I mean, I didn't watch some of his matches in Japan, but, you know, I, I was surprised that he went there. And when he wanted to, and, he, of course, he became their intercontinental champion in New Japan. Yeah. And, you know, he changed his look, you know, and, uh, you know, he... Is that Stacey Keebler in the, in the Wolfpack shirt? I think it almost looks like her. I thought for sure. Yeah, I think that's Stacy Keebler. Maybe that's why yeah. she. I think that's. Maybe what... that's how she got a job. <laughs> Who did she fucking blow to get those tickets? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, here we go. All day, every day. I'm the lucha libre from the WCWE. I'm loving you. Oh yeah. Conan. Yeah. I wonder if he still got that flannel shirt. Yeah. I'm sure he does. I mean, I mean, he was fun to watch. You know, I, I'm not going to knock him too much. He was he was fun to watch. I mean, yeah. he wore the same underwear underneath his, you know, the blue underwear you see there. Um, but uh, he was one of the, I mean, before he came to WCW, wasn't he the one that brought some of the Lucha Libre Cruiserweights into ECW just to get a little yeah, uh, shot? Yeah, he got it. Yeah, he, he was a part of that. Him and Paul Heyman helped, you know. Get you know Ray and Hoovy and Psychosis and those guys in, and um, I think Conan had a few matches in ECW as well. Of course, I remember, you know, he was part of the uh, the Dungeon of Doom. I think. Yeah, that was awful. 
Yeah, and it didn't last long, and he became a member of the NWO, I think. Yeah, which I thought was good for him. I mean, I liked him in the NWO. He fit. He was like a little gang member, you know? It made sense for him. But, uh, you know, he he wasn't too bad. I wasn't, you know... I could take, her, take him or leave him. He wasn't, you know, the, the best, but he wasn't the worst either. But um, I think Conan's best work ever was when he was the manager for LAX and TNA. Yeah. You he, remember that stuff? Oh, definitely. Homicide, Homicide and Hernandez. Yeah, those two were and, uh, those who, were great. Who was the girl? Uh, she She was like, she, it was the, she did the vampire gimmick in the in the WWE ECW. Her I name's Shelly Martinez, but she did like the Latin girl kind of thing with, yeah. with Conan, but yeah. I remember, I mean, yeah. And the three live crew thing was pretty funny, though. I mean, like it, that was okay. That was that. That reminded me a lot of like that was like a cross between like the Wolf Pack and like the New Age Outlaws. It was like the the three live crew in, in TNA was the if if the NWO Wolf Pack could have sex with the New Age Outlaws, the fucking it would look like the three live crew. You know, yeah. And Road Dog ironically was a New Age outlaw, and Conan was ironically a part of the NWO Wolfpack. And then you had R Truth, who was Ron the Truth Killings, who just was Ron the Truth Killings. So I mean, you had the three of them. It was a fun little group, but it wasn't anything yeah. spectacular. But I really loved his stuff with with LAX when yeah. he was their manager, and that that was some really good stuff. But yeah, Jericho's been on fire. He really has. Like I think Jericho, Jericho will probably go down as one of the I'd put him in there in like the top ten of one of the all time greats. I really would for what he's contributed to wrestling, what he does for wrestling, how he reinvents his character and changes up his look. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean he he has come a long way. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't in nineteen ninety eight looking at him in, in in this picture, you know, here as the WCW TV champion at, at sixteen years old, I couldn't have imagined saying that he would have been one of the greatest of all time. You know, great wrestler, great performer, very fun to watch. But I wouldn't think that like he would he would do what he's currently doing in wrestling now. I mean, that's how that's how good he is. You know, yeah. Like the stuff he did with um with Kenny Omega, they had that great match at the Tokyo Dome, and then he showed up dressed up as Pentagon Junior at All In, and yeah. he did the spot where he that surprised Omega. Me. Yeah, that was cool. Like Jericho always makes you guess. Like he's he's always you're always guessing. You know what he's gonna do next, how he's gonna come out next. I mean, he's reinventing himself so that he doesn't stay, you know, doing the same thing, and and, and then you know leading to it becoming very boring. You know, he switches it up here as it. I always like this, the pin where he would do that. Yeah, he puts his foot on the guy's chest. Yeah. Come on, baby! And he poses like, yeah. That was remember the uh, the WCW NWO Revenge video game when you could if you played Jericho, you could do that pin. Yeah, I remember that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was just playing that recently, uh, not you know a while back with um, a couple of my buddies. They brought the Nintendo sixty four over, and we were we were doing a, a battle royal. You remember that game, right? Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, I remember playing that game almost all the time. It was just like, you know, it was really cool because, you know, that was when we started getting the Nintendo 64 at that time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we, played a lot, we played a lot of video games. We played, like, WCW Revenge. We played WrestleMania 2000, the video game, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, No Mercy as yep, well. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Those we played like, that. And then the wrestling game sucked after that. I yeah, mean, of course. It gets old, you know, and... I mean, the graphics and the video games are really cool. But, oh, they're you know, great now, yeah. But the controlling, you know, when you control the game, when you when you play it, 
it sort of gets you. down X joystick. Fuck you. Kiss my ass. To just do a body slam, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> up, up, down, down, joystick, circle, jerk, you know? Like, it's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to land one punch, and you're making, you know, you give me fucking carpal tunnel with the video games. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> For Christ's sakes. But uh, I wasn't uh, going, you know, kind of sticking with this match here. I wasn't the biggest fan of seeing Jericho and Conan. I liked when I liked Jericho. I liked watching Jericho when he was working with guys that were um, that complemented his style, like Guerrero and Benoit and Ray and Hoovy and the Cruiserweights, Malenko, guys like that. Like I felt like it was a mismatch with him and Jericho, or could Jericho and Conan here? Like I just felt like it didn't, uh, just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Oh, well, even though Jericho was trying to win back the TV title, which obviously you know was. Something that, you know, he wanted it. But even though he was not the TV champion now, he he lost it to Conan in one show, and he stole the belt. Yep. A lot of guys do that, you know, steal the belt gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just remember, like, building up for WrestleMania 31, where, like, the Intercontinental title and the ladder match, people were trying to take the belt. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Wade Barrett was the champ, and I think everyone stole the belt at one point. Like, yeah. someone had the belt each week, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, you could see Conan now. He's part of uh, Impact Wrestling with uh, with LAX, the new LAX, uh, yeah. Santana and Ortiz. And uh, he's also part of, uh, if you go on YouTube, he's a part of uh, Major League Wrestling, MLW Fusion. Uh, he has a, a role on, in, in that show. I think he represents some of the luchadors. He's got a character. Oh, Ooh. that was nice. A little springboard. Conan counters and throws Jericho into those ring steps. And, uh, yeah, he's part of that show now. It's it's kind of fun. I've watched a few episodes. You should check it out sometime on YouTube. MLW Fusion, uh, John Morrison, um, uh, Filthy Tom Lawler, he's a part of it. Uh, Brian Pillman Jr., uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr., Teddy Hart, the New Hart Foundation, they're a part of the uh, MLW as well. Jack Swagger, I think, has got a role in the show. Um so yeah, it's a lot. Colonel Robert Parker, he's a part of it as well. He's a manager. He manages like a southern. I think they're called like the Dirty White Boys or something, or the Dirty Southern Boys. Boston Crab into a slingshot with Conan, pulling his pants down, still wearing the same underwear. <laughs> Moves out of the way. Conan now putting the boots to Jericho in the corner. Oh, takes out referee Billy Silverman with an elbow. As Jericho now takes the TV title, goes for the hit, ducks, but hits him again, nails him. With the referee still down, Jericho looking to capitalize, and whoa, that should be a disqualification. (laughs) You just put your hands on an official. What the hell? One, two, kick out by Conan. Excuse me. I don't get it. I honestly don't get it. Jericho hit the referee, and they didn't call for disqualification. But that's WCW for you. I mean, WCW has their rule book. Yeah, it's not much of a rule book, I'll say that. A rule book, which obviously it doesn't make sense, you know, for why they didn't do that. You Face know, buster by Conan to Chris Jericho. And now we go for the Tequila Sunrise. Jericho, is he going to tap? Is he going to tap? 
You gonna tap? Yes, yep. he's gonna. You tap. tapped out, <laughs> and you, still your WCW World Television Champion. He is Bowdy Bowdy. He's Rowdy Rowdy. He is Conan K Dog from the NWO Red and Black Wolf Pack. Don't turn your back on the Wolf Pack. You might wind up in a body bag. A lot of Wolfpack representing in the crowd right there. You see NWO Wolfpack banner. Wolfpack is number one. Who'd you? Did you like the Wolfpack? Were you a Wolfpack guy? I was or, starting to like it when yeah. you know when when they were like trying to when they were bringing more guys in. You know when Savage and Nash formed the Wolfpack together. You know and they were starting to wear red and black, and I thought that was a pretty cool color for you know for somebody for a new stable like that. Yep. And uh, you know. And of course, it didn't take long. You know, Luger joined the Wolfpack, and when he, because I remember he came into the ring, they came into the ring, and they gave him a T-shirt, and he just put it on, and he stopped, and he was wearing like you know black jeans, and he was wearing the shirt. And uh, I didn't like Luger and Sting in the Wolfpack. I, I wasn't a fan of it. I liked it when it was Nash, Savage, Conan, and like maybe like one other guy. Like if they kept it to like Scott Hall or. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't really. Yeah, I didn't like Luger and Sting, because Luger and Sting to me represented what WCW was all about, and I felt like from a storyline perspective, Sting was trying so hard to fight against the NWO for so long that, you know, the NWO were the reason why he, he became the Crow Sting, and then you're gonna join, a variation of the NWO. You're going to join the Wolfpack after some of those guys in that faction made your life miserable for a, a year prior? It just didn't make sense to me. Same thing with Luger. Like, yep. you guys got your fucking ass kicked every single week by the NWO, and now you're going to join them. I just didn't really like it. Yep. I mean, I, I was I was not against... Uh, I was not against... Um, uh, whatchamacallit... Uh, Bischoff, I'm sorry. I was not against, um, what's his name? Uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. I was not against Nash and Savage and Conan doing the Wolfpack thing. I wasn't against them splitting it up, but I just thought there was too many guys um, in, the, in the NWO and then in the Wolfpack in general. Like I said, they were going to put DDP in at one point. I was like, this is fucking stupid. No. no, DDP just couldn't fit in the NWO. He could make it on his own. I mean, the biggest thing that DDP had ever done in his career was that nobody was ever able to do at that time was was that he, he attacked the NWO and got away and left the building. Nobody was ever able to do that. What, like the NWO, they tried to encourage him and push DDP to become a member, and when they gave him the shirt, he put it on, and they s- said to themselves, yes, we got him, we got him. We're, nobody can get away with this, and all of a sudden, DDP just... Diving cuttered Scott Hall, and then he just quickly ran out to the crowd, and he just ripped the shirt off, and he just did the diamond cutter sign, and people went nuts over him. Yeah, and that was like also the beginning of the year that he would have an unbelievable rivalry against the late great Macho Man Randy Savage, and that would be like one of the best, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated's 1997 rivalry of the year. I mean, two men in their 40s. I mean. It's like you can you imagine that you know winning a award like that? Yeah. At that at their age, it's just like wow. I mean, like so much for DDP. He, I mean, his career got 
got skyrocket up there. Because yeah. We'll talk about DDP shortly as we, we, we kick things off here with Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff in this, uh, this heated rivalry. Flair putting the work in on Bischoff here. This is classic, uh, you know, baby face against heel authority figure, the, the heel TV boss. I hate to even use that term because I'm a wrestling fan. I'm not in the business. I don't really like using baby face and heel. The, 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 uh, the, the, not the pyro, but the, the confetti falling from the sky as uh, you see in the background there. Flair putting the work in on Bischoff. It was a year before this. Bischoff was a part of a a, a, a major match at Starcade where he was the um, he was the uh, the, the taken on Larry Zbysko. That's right. And that was for control of Nitro. And it was uh, it was uh, Scott Hall in Bischoff's corner, and then Bret Hart was the special guest referee. That's right. I remember that. I mean, it was. I mean, I mean that year in '97 was like you know, it was like the NWO was like a big threat to WCW in that they were they showed this a- angle where like you know they have taken over the show and then they have taken all the WCW Monday Nitro logos and put NWO Monday Nitro logo signs on it, and um, <clears throat> of course that gave a hell of a uh, great rating to beat WWE Raw that week. Yeah, and. Um, I mean, the match itself, uh, as far as the match between Zabisco and uh, Bischoff, I don't remember much of it, but it was, I mean, it was kind of like a a great show, I mean, like it, from from 97, then it was surprising, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, I, I lost my train of thought too. No, it's okay, that's alright, and it happens sometimes. Yeah. No, it was, it was a good, I mean, last that, that match the year prior in 97, um, Definitely had much more excitement. The overall card in general was 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 very exciting. Um, this definitely doesn't feel like the biggest show of the year. This feels like a a really good episode of Monday Nitro. Um, but uh, Bischoff was in that high profile match with Zabisco. There was a lot more on the line. It was Sting's return. He hadn't wrestled in over a year, uh, so it was um, it was quite the. Uh, it was quite the event at the the previous Starcade '97. This this event here didn't really feel like that but um this match definitely had some intensity and some hype going into it the storyline as we discussed when we were talking about uh bischoff and flair's rivalry the video package um there's an episode of you really ought to check out that eric bischoff podcast 83 weeks um he did an episode where he talked about the 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 lawsuit with rick flair and uh it was um it was interesting, to say the least. But, uh... I think we could see Flair bleeding from his head. Yeah, Flair, Flair busted open. And Flair coming right back on his feet, all fired up. And Bischoff landing those kicks, which I think that's what caused Flair to bust his head open. Ooh! Low blow. Low blow. He just low blowed the boss's jewels. (laughs) Still getting a piece of Eric Bischoff. Another low blow. 
Oof. Yow. Really, really, really. I wonder if that is a shoot for Ric Flair to do that because, you know, for this past year with all the hell that he went through with the lawsuit. Um, I, You know what? It's funny you mention that because on Bischoff's podcast, he said that Flair was very professional and that he didn't take liberties with him and he was very careful. And, oh, nice. That was a nice bump. That was a nice bump there. Um, yeah, he said that that uh, that Flair didn't really uh, he didn't take advantage of him, and he and they were they were strictly professionals, and they were trying to make the situation work. There was still some bad blood and some tension, but they were trying to make it work to try and you know make a good storyline out of it and, and draw some money. Um, so it wasn't uh, it, there there wasn't it, Bischoff was not worried. In those situations with Flair, when Flair would get physical with him, if Flair was going to kind of take it too far, but um, it was mentioned also on that same podcast a few years after, when they were both working for WWE, that Flair had an altercation with Bischoff, and he just like punched him or tried to punch him, and they got and things got a little bit physical, and he was still mad about what took place. But um, you know, both guys are on great terms with each other; they consider each other good friends. Uh, they've done some business together. I believe uh, Bischoff played a part in um, in getting Flair a contract in TNA, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Figure four time by the Nature Boy. Woo! Here we go. As we see some commotion from the audience. Someone looks like he's making its way towards the ring. Of course, yeah, someone wearing blue. And I think we, we all know who that is. It's... Making his way down the aisle is one Kurt Henning, a member of the NWO Black and White Hollywood, yeah. who also in storyline was once a member of the Four Horsemen, turning on Ric Flair and helping the NWO win the war games. Taped brass knuckles by Eric Bischoff to the forehead of Ric Flair. While the referee is knocked out, going for the cover. One, two, three, and your winner of this match, Eric Bischoff. Now, let me ask you something, Daryl. As a fan, most would have expected that Ric Flair would come out the victor of this match. Were you surprised and upset that Bischoff won in 1998? I was kind of mad that, you know, he would, you know, I mean, he would get away with all, that he would get a win like this. And, uh, well, of course, you know, I mean, he's, as his character, you know, he's the boss. You know, he banned the Four Horsemen for that. He he planned this all along just to get one member of the NWO to help him out if he's in the pursuit of losing the match. And, <clears throat> you know, as far as uh, him getting the victory, I would say, nah, I wasn't really surprised. I wasn't surprised at all. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, the next night on Nitro would eventually turn out that, you know, Flair got a rematch of Bischoff, and this time it was for control of the company, and Flair would end up winning and becoming the president for, I believe it was like 30 days or something like that. Um, here we see highlight package, Bret Hart and Diamond Dallas Page having their issues at one point. Um, I think it's safe to say Bret Hart's WCW run was nothing special, and it was probably... Um, a very low point in his career. 
Um, I didn't like Bret Hart in the NWO. That's, I mean, I just didn't think Bret Hart needed to be in the NWO, and I didn't think the NWO needed Bret Hart. Um, and I thought it was kind of silly that he was part of the NWO, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I had to agree with you because, you know, he's like the first member of the NWO that doesn't come out to the ring to a match with an NWO entrance, or especially he changing his colors, you know? Because, you know, I mean, everybody had to wear NWO shirts and NWO trunks and all that stuff, but Bret Hart was the only one of that member that didn't even wear one. He just wore his own colors because he's Bret Hart. You know, he's pink and black. That's what he represented. Yeah. And, of course, you know, he didn't need the NWO, of course. You know, he just he just needed it himself. But as far as his run in WCW goes, it was just a shame that they didn't use him the right way. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he there were so many matches left on the table that, like, they could have, you know, he had the, the one match with Sting, or a couple matches with Sting. It wasn't anything special. Yeah. Um, I just thought, like, they totally mismanaged him, misused him. If you want to ever hear a good a good podcast, you could check out um, the the Bischoff one. He does one on Bret Hart, and he's got nothing but – he does not have nice things to say about Bret Hart. Of course. Yeah, they got some issues with each other. So uh, if you want to ever check that out, yeah. you can do so. You can probably find it on YouTube, I'm yeah. sure. He does not have some nice things to say. Of course, because Bret Hart doesn't have any nice things to say about Bischoff either. Bret Hart does not have any nice things to say about anybody, uh, to be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of Bret these days. He's very uh, he's very bitter about a lot of things. I think Montreal still bothers him, and that, that you know, it's... it's. Yeah, I, I feel sorry for him in a lot of ways, but, you know, it's just like, it's been like two decades now, Bret. It's just like, you gotta... Get over it. Yeah, move yeah. on. Be happy, you know? Well, I'm sure he's probably happy a little bit that yeah, he got over with uh, with Vince and Shawn Michaels. I think hopefully. Yep. And uh, you know, it's just that. I I I I I feel strongly about this, and I said this um, on last week's show with, uh, with 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 Jamie Garibedi, and you can head over to the archives at SoundCloud.com to check out our Naughty List episode. But, uh, you know, and Brett does make Santa Claus's Naughty List, that's for sure. But um, <laughs> if Bret Hart wasn't making if, – if Bret Hart wasn't going to make money off of the stuff from Montreal with Sean and, and Vince – then he wasn't coming back. Like that was for a paycheck, in my opinion. Like if he's gonna, if they're gonna bring up Montreal and they're gonna bring it up in the storyline, he was gonna make some good money off it. He probably did. And kudos to him for for being able to 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 get that big paycheck. But um, you know, it is what it is. He is who he is, and uh, I won't take away what he's contributed into the business, and he's one of the all-time greats, but he's just so goddamn bitter. It's like I can't even listen to him. You know, Any kind of interview that comes out, I'll read a transcript or I'll listen, and he's just he's, he's angry at everyone. He's got issues with everyone. This person screwed him here. Or this person did this to him. He fucking hates Hogan. You know? like, of course, I mean. Get in line. There's a lot of guys that hate Hogan. You know what I mean? Of so, course, you know, because – I mean, I was listening to Bobby Heenan's shooter interview on YouTube where they asked him about, like, he had asked him about Hogan. He said, well, you know, a lot of people, you know, hated Hogan because they never get a chance to work with Hogan. Yeah. And the only, re and also, you couldn't draw money with Hogan, and that's the problem because that they hated him because they wanted to draw money and work with him. And, yeah. you know, I think Bret Hart was probably the same way. I mean, but we did hear the story that Bret Hart, you know, his first hatred on Hogan was when, in 93, when Hogan had the title, 
for from WrestleMania, you know, when he beat Yoko, Yokozuna, of course. And uh, he thought, Brett thought that he was going to be booked in a match, which was going to be Hogan's last match on a pay-per-view for the title. Yeah. And instead, you know, it was given to Yokozuna. And, and Hogan said, Brett, that's what you thought you heard, he said. Because, you know, and even the same with Vince when, of course, according to Hogan saying that. And, you know, that's when, you know, there was probably misunderstandings. I don't know. I mean. Yeah. 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 I think Brett heard one thing and someone else said something else. But uh, we got uh, DDP and the Giant here. That video package earlier just pretty much highlighted that Giant was doing Bret Hart's dirty work. Um, and DDP is trying to find ways to put the diamond cutter on the big man because, you know, he's the giant. He's seven feet tall. He's over 500 pounds. He was the big, he was the big muscle. He was the heater of the, N, the, of the NWO black and white Hollywood. Um, I didn't mind this storyline. This was pretty good. Um, I didn't have a problem with this match being on the Starcade card. Ooh, spit the gum, yeah. spit in the face, and we're off to the races here. DDP and the Giant ready to get it on here at Starcade 1998. Trying to go for that. Uh, I don't know what that. that oh, there we go, right there. Attempted the diamond cutter. The di- but... Diamond cutter. Yep, and a right hand by DDP and a clothesline by DDP. Clotheslines the big giant right out of the ring, and he lands on his feet. Yeah. Oh. Giant catches him. Yeah, DDP, you know, 97 was a big, big gear for him. He was, you know, really coming into his own. And then, you know, he had multiple runs as United States champion, the stuff he did with Raven um, and the flock, his stuff he had with the NWO, Randy Savage. In the 1998, he really, really... I'm sorry, the Raven and the Flock was 98. 97 stuff was at the NWO. But, you know, 98, he was even getting hotter when... Uh, you know, he had the match with Goldberg a few months prior at Halloween Havoc where he was like the 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 first true threat to Goldberg. Goldberg had kind of mowed through everyone, and DDP really stood his own, and I thought that was like a defining moment for DDP. Even though he didn't win that match, I was like, that dude's a main eventer. He could be the world champ. Like, I believed it after that. Um, not that I didn't before, but, like, it, it, solid, it solidified my... Uh, my um, my uh, belief that Diamond Dallas Page was capable of becoming world champion at some point in time in WCW. Um, but yeah, then he kind of, you know, he had the stuff with Hogan and the NWO, Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman, part of that big tag match, the stuff with Jay Leno. I mean, DDP was a big name in WCW, and rightfully so. Um, and it was only natural that he continue his rivalry with the NWO, but I, like I said, wasn't a big fan with him and Brett, but I didn't mind this match here with the Giant. Yeah. As the Giant's really putting the work on him. Of course. I mean, and also when the Giant came in, you know, in WCW, of course he was brought by Hogan. Yeah. And he was known as the son of the late Andre the Giant. And, because I remember that as a kid, and I'm thinking, and I even said to myself, is it because that he's son of Andre the Giant because he's wearing the same exact black singlet that he wore yeah as a kid i didn't mind it i was like oh that's all right like it makes sense he's a big dude but you know looking back on it probably wasn't the best idea and i'm glad they didn't uh they didn't go forward with it and they didn't continue him as the the son of andre the giant i'll be perfectly honest with you there um 
And, of course, we all know Giant would eventually leave WCW and join the WWE and become the big show and have a unbelievable career to this day. Still performing on WWE TV from time to time. Not a full-timer anymore. Makes his special appearances. Uh, Was recently a, a... bodyguard of sorts for the bar Seamus and Cesaro on Smackdown um, but uh, yeah he had a um, I mean you can say what you want about his career in WCW um, and obviously he had the much better career in WWE but for you know the time he was in WCW it wasn't bad either world champion multiple times part of the NWO it was always part of a big storyline it wasn't like he you know, it wasn't like he, he wasn't doing nothing, you know? Well, of course. I mean, let's not forget 1997, where he teamed up with Lex Luger against Hogan and Robin. That was like Robin's first involvement match. Yeah. And it was at Bash of the Beach. And, uh, you know, that was, like, pretty huge. Yep. As well as it was between DDP and Carl Malone against Hogan and Robin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, the stuff with Goldberg, too, that he did. Yeah, he... Remember him getting jackhammered, which I was so shocked that nobody could ever lift a guy like that as big as the Giants. When I went, when uh, when they did uh, Monday Nitro in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, I was at that Nitro. That was yeah. the night that Warrior debuted. The main event was uh, on TV was uh, Giant and Goldberg. I remember that and he too. Did the, and he did the big, uh, you know, Goldberg picked him up for the first time. And I remember being surprised that they put the match. On TV, because the rumor was, as I heard, that Giant and Goldberg was another option for Starcade. Really? Yeah. that's That was a rumor I heard. That another option for Starcade was Giant and Goldberg. They were all, I mean, I don't know how true it is, but, you know, this was what I can remember back in 1998, is that they were going to try and wait to do Giant and Goldberg um, at one of the major pay-per-views, whether it was Halloween Havoc, or I, I think it was Starcade that was talked about. But, um, yeah, you see him. Every time he talked, he spit. He had spit coming out of his mouth. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember his match at Hogwild against Hogan, the first Sturgis event. You know, he was like, of course, you know, uh, he when he had that match with Hogan, he was like, of course, he almost got a, a real good reaction when he was hulking up like Hulk Hogan used to do. When Hogan, when like, of course. Yeah, Hulk, Hogan's mannerisms when he was feeding for the comeback. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, when like Nash and Hall, you know, were trying to stop him, but he took them down, and, and the next thing you know, Hogan took the belt and just hit him, knocked him out and cold, and just like pin him one, two, three. Yeah. And then after that, you know, I think a few weeks later, he became a member of the NWO. Yep. That's I right. remember that night. And I he, thought that was stupid too, because he just lost the belt to him. Why would you join the NWO? You just got beat up by him. Especially you're, you're you had to be the fucking giant. You know, you're bigger than the NWO. Yeah. Especially you know you you've had a rivalry with Hogan. <laughs> Yeah. And you made his life a living hell. It did, yeah, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. I didn't really care for it. Um, bear hug here by the giant to Diamond Dallas Page. Signature big man, smaller man matchup where the big man has the advantage over him. Like at WrestleMania 3 when Hogan hit, when Andre gave, locked Hogan in the bear hug. That's right. That's right, yeah. And that picture is here in the studio behind me. Hogan and Andre, uh, autograph, the one you got me for Christmas a number of years ago. That's right. Very, very cool. Cool stuff. Big Show. Actually, why I just called him Big Show. He's Well, I mean, he's Big Show now, but yeah. you know, 
Giant swinging Paige in the rope. Paige countering with an elbow to the back. Going for that diamond cutter again. And now Big Show. Well, I said Big Show. Giant power slamming Diamond Dallas Paige. Going for the cover. One. Oh. Nope. Two. Oh, now he's going to. Oh. Oh. Just now he's just going to toy with him. Now he's going to play games with him. Just like every other wrestler does. Yep. That's Even when Randy do. Savage did that to Flair at Great American Bash 95 when he had the elbow drop and landed, one, two, three, he pulls his head up and then he just went his fingers like this, you know, no, 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 I'm not done with him. No, certainly not, that's for sure. Now, uh, you know, it was not too long after this, I believe it was just a few weeks after this that Giant would end up leaving WCW. Um, it wouldn't be till February 14th of 1999 that he would debut at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view for WWE, trying to help Vince McMahon defeat Stone Cold Steve Austin inside of a steel cage, which, by the way, on Valentine's Day in 2019, here at Kicking Out at 2, we'll be doing a special Valentine's Day watch-along of St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which will be the 20-year anniversary to the date that Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon tangled inside the steel cage at that memorable event so stay tuned for more over at soundcloud.com february 14 2019 st valentine's day massacre watch along right here on kicking out it too um yeah i believe that the storyline here was um you know after this match the giant had with ddp he was still part of the nwo but then uh you know there was the nwo had expanded the red and black you know came back together and we'll touch upon that you know in our next match um and uh he was the only true giant in the nwo or at least he thought he was and he was trying to fight for that spot and he lost and was kicked out and then that was the last that they saw of him in wcw and then it wouldn't be till a month later when he debuted in the world wrestling federation as the the one of the members of the corporation oh Ooh. I thought he was going to choke slam him there, but he gave him the knee like to the back. It was like a modified backbreaker, choke slam backbreaker to the back of the knee. Wow. That was pretty impressive, though. That was very impressive, yeah. I mean, it looked like he was going to drop him, but at the same time, huh? It looked like he meant to do that, so who knows? Um, here we see, yeah, it's a replay right there. Oh! To the back, the lower back of Diamond Dallas Page by the Giant. Not a bad match so far. I mean, yeah, I would say so. I mean, for not too bad. Not too bad at all. Yeah. At some point, spoiler alert, we'll give you a few spoilers here. Bret Hart will make an appearance in this match. Um, it's a shame he was not on the card. I heard he was hurt, and that was one of the reasons why I think they did this match, I believe. Um, he had a groin injury of some kind. Um, I know that like a part of his run in WCW had to do with injuries. Oh, look at that. That DDT. I was like when DDP delivered that DDT. Yeah, that was yeah, pretty sweet really, looking. That's really good. Yeah, but um, I heard that he was injured, and that's why he wasn't a part of uh, this event in a uh, wrestling capacity. But uh, referee counting these guys out. Seven, eight, Paige is fighting to make the cover. Referee going for the count. One, two, and the giant Whoa. kicks out. Ooh, and Paige nails the referee with the kick out. And I think this is going to signal Bret Hart's entry into the match as we see the audience 
causing a frenzy. There he is. The biggest crybaby there is, was, and ever will be. Oh! Oh! And he nails the giant in a low oh. blow by DDP to Bret Hart. I think that's low blow number three this evening. There was two in the last match with uh, with Flair and Bischoff. Page going for the cover. One, two. Oh, didn't oh. even get the two. Giant kicks out. Trying to wipe off the cobwebs from taking that chair shot to the face, which you'll never see chair shots to the face ever again in wrestling. Absolutely. Uh, concussions and head injuries are no joke. Clothesline off the top by Page to the Giant. And the fan at front row sit, who's sitting, he's got a t-shirt that's like waving. And it, he's waving that DDP t-shirt. He's a, 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 a proud member of the Diamond Mind. And he's signaling for the Diamond Cutter. And the audience right there is audience doing Audience is going for it, yeah. Audience is getting psyched up up to the top rope again here. Oh. oh Calorie with the choke slam. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Who kn- Another oh. low blow. Jesus. And the referee, referee didn't, didn't call that either. Of course. What the heck? What is going on? No rules. It's, it's WCW, whatever. You know. This is where and the big boys play. No se- yeah. No selling the low blow either. Choke slam and counters to a diamond cutter. Oh, nice, very nice. Yeah, that was the that was the big payoff. Is that DDP could not deliver the diamond cutter to the giant, and he managed to counter it for the victory. And your winner, Diamond Dallas Page. I applaud DDP with that finish. I mean, I really do. Yeah, no, that was pretty fun. That really was good match. Fun. Really good match. You know, take credit for both of them. Yeah, it was uh, it was a solid match. I mean, I think everyone was, you know, there to see DDP deliver the diamond cutter to the giant as uh, Bret Hart looking on in disapproval of DDP's victory. They had some solid matches. They they main evented World War Three the prior month. I thought um, that match was okay. I thought that match was good. I mean, yeah, it wasn't bad. I don't know. I just had, I, Bret Hart and WCW looked weird. It was it just felt weird to me the way was, they were. The way that WCW was, like, using him. Well, yeah. And and they weren't prepared for him. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me a lot of, like... It reminded me a lot of, like, Brett Favre not wearing a Packers uniform and he was a New York Jet or he was a Minnesota Viking. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it kind of reminded me of. Like, Bret Hart was always WWF, WWE, you know, and... He just felt so out of place in WCW. Uh, ooh, wow, that was, that was a stiff chair shot and a low blow. So we have four low blows and two matches in these last two matches. Sweet little counter into that diamond cutter in the replay here. As Paige dropping the giant for the victory. Diamond Dallas Page, Mr. DDP Yoga himself. I actually have a DDP Yoga uh, DVD that I've never used before that... I'm going to be starting to use fairly soon to get in better shape and exercise, but I hear nothing but good things about DDP Yoga. Well, i got to tell you, you DDP know, yoga. for DDP Yoga, from what you know, DDP's doing, he really inspired me because the way that he helped out his best friends, Jake Roberts and Scott Hall. Yep. You know? Yeah, I mean, and what he's been, done for them is unbelievable. And even for everybody, you know, and the whole, that has been taking it. And I feel like to myself, you know what, maybe I should try it because, you know, yeah, maybe if you want to come over, we can do DDP yoga together. You know, we can we can we can try it out. You know, 
I haven't used it yet, but I mean, if you want, you're more than welcome to come over anytime. Same video package we saw before, because they didn't have to, you know, remind us that this is the fucking main event. Goldberg and Kevin Nash for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Um, Michael Buffer, the uh, the ring announcer here, used to only call the used to only announce the main events on Nitro, Thunder, and uh, and this here on. Uh, on the pay-per-views. And uh, I think it also, I mean, like, you probably may not know, in the early days of the UFC, he did announce, you know, he for did? shows. I didn't know that. I know, he did, I know he did boxing, for, you know, and well, he still does boxing. Here, yeah, absolutely. That's what he was known for, too. And uh, he did the UFC for like, one, for, like a, for, like, a couple shows, I think. In the early days, like when they first started? Yeah. That's I mean, kind of cool. Yeah, the one fight I remember he called was, uh, I think it was... The first fight between Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn for the Super Fight Championship. Oh, wow. Interesting. And, of course, you know, his younger brother, Bruce Buffer, is he's now. The, yeah, he's the guy that introduces everyone in UFC now. Yeah. On Tony Schiavone's podcast, he said that um, Buffer used to charge $5,000 in appearance to just do this one, you know, this one spot. So WCW used to pay him $5,000 every single time he would call the main event. So... If he, if he if he was on Nitro and did the main event on Nitro and then did the main event on Thunder and then did a pay per view probably like he did this you know heading into this show he made fifteen thousand dollars in a week. Wow, that's crazy, that's crazy. Just for him to say, "Let's get ready to rumble," that's like right. I mean, for real, fifteen thousand dollars in a week. I'll fucking take his job any day, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure he makes more you know announcing and boxing. He sure does. I mean, I don't know if you know this, Daryl, but um, back in the 90s, before he you know, did this with WCW, uh, the, the television network MTV, they used to do these CDs called MTV Jock Jams, and they were like CDs where they would have like you know, music that they would play at, at um, sporting events. You know, I think I remember. And they used Let's Get Ready to Rumble from him one time, and he sued MTV, and he sued the, 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 the production company, the, the, the music network or whatever, that produced the television or produced the CD, and he won, and every time an arena would play let's get ready to rumble he got to get paid for it oh, like, wow. so he's so he's made a living off of a phrase that he came up with and it's unbelievable i mean good yeah. good for him i'll i know if yeah. i was in his shoes i'd take it I'd, I'd take that money to the bank for sure speaking of the guy who took some money to the bank in his wrestling career big sexy kevin nash getting ready for the uh the the main event of starcade 1998 as he challenges goldberg for the world heavyweight championship now from what I remember in 1998, Nash was red hot. He was the leader of the Wolfpack. He was probably in the top three of like good guys in WCW between Goldberg and him, and you could maybe say like DDP and Sting. Like those, those were like the core of the good guys in WCW um, that were that were facing off against the black and white NWO. Now. Um, he was super popular, and I remember as a kid, I wanted him to be going up against Goldberg for the title because he was believable, in my opinion. He really was. Uh, so I didn't have a problem with this match. There's a lot of people out there in the wrestling world, critics, that will say that this match um, only happened because Kevin Nash 
received the job as the head booker of WCW at this time. Um, I've heard conflicting stories. I heard he got the booking position in February of 99, long after this storyline happened um, with him and Goldberg here. But like I told you earlier, I didn't think that they needed to put Bam Bam Bigelow involved in this. I didn't think that they needed to even add Scott Hall into the mix. Um, maybe a little bit, but I thought like it was too much and too much going on and not enough just straight up Goldberg and Nash. Um, Goldberg with this iconic entrance here of the security guards and the cops. I thought it was really cool. Made him feel super important. And uh, Goldberg was one of your favorites as a kid, I remember, correct? That's right. You know, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. You know, I yep. felt like he was, of course, I know wrestling is fake, but I felt like he was for real. Like, he was the real deal in w, for WCW to be, you know, on top of the world like Hogan was when he started in coming back in WWF from the AWA. Uh-huh. And, you know, Goldberg was like, you know, the monster Stone Cold lookalike. But even though he, he wasn't trying to be like Stone Cold, he was just being, you know, what Goldberg needed to be is this indestructible monster that nobody could beat. And... uh of course, you know I liked his entrance. I liked the way he came out with the, with the, with the smoke and and all that stuff. And you know he just, yeah. I mean, you know it was it was cool. It was it was it was something different. And uh, you know, Goldberg was another one who was like red hot. That uh, it was like a collision course. It was you know a match that I, I think people wanted to see it. I know I, as a fan, I did. Maybe I'm selfish because I was a Kevin Nash fan, but I know that like. I feel like a lot of people did want to see it because, you know, Nash was this, you know, big, intimidating, cool force in the NWO Wolfpack, and him and Goldberg really hadn't collided. And, you know, he was super popular, man. People were wearing them Wolfpack shirts, and, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what wrestling these critics were watching in 1998, but I just remember as a fan being in the arena and watching on TV that they – Kevin Nash was very popular, and people wanted to see him wrestle Goldberg. And people were—I remember talking to friends, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, oh Nash and Goldberg. Nash, it should be Nash and Goldberg. It should be Nash and Goldberg." And I was really happy when they made that match when Nash won the uh, the World War Three Battle Royal the month prior. But people seem to think that uh, the reason why this was done was because people were booing Goldberg on TV, and I don't really remember that either. Do you do you remember that? Not really. Okay. I mean, but I did yeah. watch the shooting review clip of Kevin Nash when, you know, he said that the fans were booing Goldberg. And I said, well, I'm not so sure about to believe that because I don't remember the fans booing Goldberg at all. Yeah. I don't either. I mean, I, who knows? Maybe I didn't pay enough attention or pay close enough attention to the situation. But uh, I don't think I did either. I mean... It's a big fight feel in this main event. Thank you all so much for uh, hanging with us here this week on Kicking Out at Two with our WCW Starcade 1998 watch along. It's it's the end of the year. It's the, the end of 2018, and uh, it's been a blast here on Kicking Out at Two bringing you these shows, and I look forward to doing more in 2019. I ain't going anywhere. I'm just getting started, and, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun. So thank you all so much for all the support and for being a part of this journey I'm on here in Wrestling Podcast cast heaven as we get things going here in this uh main event with goldberg and nash for the wcw world heavyweight championship in 1998 20 years ago this week that these uh these two juggernauts 
uh, faced off. And like I said, this match in particular is what really set the table for a roller coaster year in WCW, both in front of the camera and behind the curtain. Um, and I think it had a lot to do with the finish. Um, and, you know, I'm in the minority that I was okay with this finish. And I, I didn't have any reservations about how they went about this. Um, I just think following this and following other events that transpired that we will get into on next week's show, the first show of 2019, that's where they kind of screwed things up. But uh, nonetheless, um, Nash and Goldberg, probably two, two like I said, two of the, the most popular good guys on WCW TV, locking it up for the title. Split crowd, you hear, you know, let's go Nash, let's go Goldberg, Wolfpack, Goldberg. I mean, the, the crowd is really, really into this match. Um, I read a report saying that the, the, the crowd was pretty dull and didn't really get into the match. Uh, you said you've watched this recently, uh, before today. Uh, how was the crowd during this match? Uh, well, when they, well, of course, when the bell rang, you know, I mean, like, as usual, fans from ringside wouldn't usually get up from their chairs when, mm-hmm. when something, you know, exciting or somebody comes in, comes in from the locker room and try to yeah. cause anything. Yep. I mean, but of course, uh, as we're watching right now, I mean, you can see, I mean, like, it's after all the, the strong pyros and everything, it looked like there's still smoke in there. It's like it's a little foggy in there. Yeah, it was a little foggy in there. I do remember that. I do remember that back then watching it. Um, you know, Kevin Nash here, uh, obviously his hottest run in wrestling was, you know, NWO in WCW, but, you know, um, he was the, the world champion in WWF in 1995 as Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Um, what do you think of Diesel as the champion? Um, well, I remember, you know, when I heard that he won the championship and it was a house show at Madison Square Garden. Yep. You know, he squashed Bob Backlund. Yeah. I remember thinking, he's really, he's won the title, he's won the title. I mean, like, I mean, I was just like, I described Diesel as being like a cool character, you know. And, he, you know, he's got like the the girls and, uh, and everything. The kids love him and especially, you know, I mean, as far as his title ring goes, I mean, like, he had like some boring matches. I mean, except for his match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania at 11 and at our hometown in Hartford, Connecticut, which... Yep. That match was not on last. It was, uh, the match was on last. It was a semi-main event. Yeah, double Lawrence event. Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow right. closed out WrestleMania that year. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, uh, I mean, his run, I think his run as champion wasn't as great, but, you know, he, he had, like, a couple of good matches, as I, as I mentioned. With you know, Brett. Yeah, with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. I mean, yeah. that, those were, like, the two that come to my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, he didn't. Davy Boy match kind of sucked. Mabel match definitely sucked. Um, yeah, Sean and Brett were probably his two greatest opponents in that title run uh, in '95. I, I remember being shocked that it happened because I didn't see. I mean, I saw that Diesel and Sean were going to break up based off of their issues that they had on TV in late '94, but I didn't think they would just throw Diesel in the title picture that quickly. Neither like did I was I. like shocked. I was like, "Why did Diesel get a shot at the belt?" You know. Well, I mean, um, yeah. But I didn't. But I liked it. 
So I didn't. It, I wasn't mad about it, and I, that's when I became a fan of Kevin Nash. Was probably as his run as Diesel. He just reminded me of like this cool guy that you could like hang out in the bar with, and you know he's he's yeah. a big dude. Like he that's just it. he kind of reminds you of like somebody you'd want to ha- hang out with. Just a regular guy, but a regular guy that can beat you up. You know, nothing flashy. You know, nothing to uh, to to uh, you know. Uh, entertaining or not entertaining but nothing too uh dramatic um just a, just a guy that you know can be relatable to a lot of people and that's why i liked uh kevin nash a lot especially as a diesel character and then of course when he you know went to wcw and did the nwo thing and, and this stuff like you know he's cool as the other side of the pillow i, I watch his shooter interviews too and he's he's a funny motherfucker yeah I've, and I've, I've chatted with him a couple of times over the years at, at little meet and greets and stuff and he's yeah. funny as shit I, yeah i've cracked up spear by goldberg yeah. early in this match yeah real good spear yeah laying out nash goldberg wiping off the cobwebs as he's now signaling for the jackhammer and he does a spit yeah which can't be very uh, appealing to uh, other wrestlers that are wrestling in the ring when guys spit. That, that's got to be one of the most disgusting things. That like guys spit in the ring, and then the next match, some guy's got to roll around in your spit while he's <laughs> while he's wrestling. That's pretty yeah. sick. What did he just do there? Was that a low blow? Yeah, I think he hit him with a low blow. The fifth low blow in the third match of this evening by Kevin Nash to Goldberg, trying to. Uh, Stop Goldberg from delivering that jackhammer. Referee Mickey J. You want to hear something funny, Daryl? Yeah. I was looking through, um, I was looking through uh, images on Google because I was trying to come up with different ideas for for this show, and I was thinking about maybe doing a show on like jobber wrestlers and enhancement talent, and their different names and their their impact in the wrestling business. And did you know that Mickey J was once an enhancement talent and he appeared on Wrestling Challenge, WWF Wrestling Challenge? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought he was just a referee, but no, he's he was he was an enhancement talent. Sidewalk slam by Nash, yeah. kick out by Goldberg, two count. Mickey J, the former enhancement jobber on Wrestling Challenge, your referee. Um, Bill Apter, cameraman, sitting right in the you'll you'll see him hard camera shot. He's Mickey J's blocking. There he is, right in the yeah. corner in the bottom. Bill Apter. I see him. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I got to I got to interview Bill Apter once during my time on the Ken Reedy show. It was uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. He was very cool, and uh, he told a great story about how he uh, he introduced Jerry Lawler to Andy Kaufman. He was the one that started it. Really? He, yeah, he was the one that set it up. Oh wow! Yeah, he um. He was friends with Andy Kaufman, and Kaufman wanted to get into wrestling, and he tried to reach out to Vince McMahon Sr., and Vince Sr. didn't want to do anything with celebrities, and then that's when they, uh, that's when uh, Kaufman, who I guess, like I said, was friends with uh, Bill Apter, uh, Apter put him in, in touch with Jerry the King Lawler, and that's when they started that big storyline down in Memphis. I read that story somewhere that, uh, you know, Vince McMahon Jr., of course, when he heard about that, that Andy Kaufman wanted to do kind of like an angle run at at Vince Sr.'s promotion. And, of course, Vince Sr. didn't want him to do it. Vince Vince was jealous. You know, he was a little jealous when that happened in in Memphis because he he wanted it to happen in New York. Yeah, Vince Jr., when he he took over, he was kind of upset that, like, he didn't get Andy Kaufman because he probably would have 
In my, you know, it's funny you say that. It's funny you mention that because, in my opinion, if Andy Kaufman didn't get sick and pass away, if Vince Jr. got a hold of Andy Kaufman, Andy Kaufman might have been in the WrestleMania one main event, oh. or he might have been in a WrestleMania match. I think he would have been like involved. he could have done something with Piper. He could have done something with Hogan. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying like him and Hogan would wrestle for the belt, but I'm saying that like he would, he would have been involved in a major WrestleMania storyline. That's know, that, just my opinion. I mean, that's a thing. You know, Jerry Lawler said in Stone Cold's podcast, he said that you know he he talked with Andy, you know, backstage mm-hmm. one time that he said, you know what, I would give up everything. I would give up the taxi. I would give up uh, the. The, the to comedians. be a wrestler? Yeah, to become a wrestler for all wow. this. That's because, pretty cool. Because he even said that Andy Kaufman was such a wrestling fan growing up as a kid. Because yeah. he really loved it so much that he always wanted to be involved in it. Oh, yeah. Goldberg here. Putting in work on Nash. He saw a double underhook slam, a super kick. Now we're going for a power slam. By Goldberg to Kevin Nash. One, two. Kick out by Big Sexy. That was pretty close. Goldberg getting frustrated that he has not put the big man down. It has not been as easy for Goldberg in this match as it had in the other 172 victories that he had had prior. Um, whoa, what Ooh. the hell was that? It looked like a spin kick. Yeah, that was not pretty. I mean, he connected, but oh, and there he is. The Wolfpack wannabe, Disco Inferno. And also the filthy animal wannabe. Yeah, I didn't like this. I thought this was silly. Like, why did they put Disco in this role? I mean, he took a good spear, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. And here right. comes and Bam, Bam Bam. Bam Bam, another thing, of course, too. The referee didn't call for the bell. Well, I think this was a no DQ. I'll be honest oh. with you. I think this was a no DQ. I don't remember, but I, I'm pretty sure this was a no DQ. Goldberg clothesline in Bigelow. Action is uh, getting out of control. And there Going we for see the spear. And Scott Hall with the taser gun to Goldberg. Disguising himself as a security guard in yep. the arena. And, of course, the security guards are, like, Crowd's pushing going crazy out. now. Crowd's really uh, really in a frenzy as Nash is picking the bones because he, he didn't know that this was taking place. He had no idea that Scott Hall was helping him. And jackknife, power bottom, Boom. down goes Goldberg. He's out. The fans go crazy. One, two... And three, it's over. The streak is over for Goldberg. We have a new WCW heavyweight champion in the world, and it's big, sexy, you know him himself, Kevin Nash. Wow. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, yeah, I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that was cool. But are him and Hall getting back together? Is, is Was that Scott Hall's way of trying to uh, – you know, getting the good graces of Kevin Nash by helping him win the title. Like I was, I was, I had a feeling that they were going to turn Nash bad after this, but I was like, no, I really like Kevin Nash as a good guy. And I don't know. I just saw like, you could see there Nash was trying to figure out like, what the hell happened to him? Why is he, you know, why is he like this? What's going on? And it, it looked like they were going in the direction of, you know, at least you you would have thought that Goldberg um, or that you know Nash had no idea that Scott Hall uh, had any part in the match. And at one point, uh, the next night on Nitro, it was revealed Nash did not know that Scott Hall was was acting on his behalf, and he offered Goldberg the big rematch for the Georgia Dome the following week. 
Which brings us to next week's show. Next week, we kick off 2019 with the Trading Places series. That's right. We're going to approach the 20th anniversary of one of the more infamous nights in the history of professional wrestling and in all of the Monday Night Wars. I'm talking about January the 4th, 1999. WCW Monday Nitro gave us the finger poke of doom. WWF Raw's War gave us mankind's very first world championship victory over the Rock. And we take those scenarios and we trade places. We play role reversal. What if Mankind didn't win the WWF title? What if Kevin Nash didn't lay down with that awful finger poke from the immortal Hulk Hogan and the NWO didn't reunite and Goldberg actually got a fair shot at the WCW title? We're going to examine all that and then some with all the what-if scenarios that we can bring you with our Trading Places series. Justin's going to make his return and help me kick things off in 2019 with our Trading Places concept. And don't forget to hit me up over on moleholeradio.com with Kobe Nida and Retromania as we're going to debut the very first edition of a collaboration, if you will, between Kicking Out of Two and Retromania. Well, I'm talking about marking out the days. It's going to be kind of like a this day in wrestling history, except... We're just going to mark down those days, if you will. Uh, we're going to cover some old Starcades, some birthdays, anything that took place on that particular date in wrestling history. We got it covered for you. So stay tuned for that. MoholeRadio.com, Retromania kicking out at two, collaborating to bring to you Marking Out the Days. Thank you so very much, Daryl, for joining me. For being a part of the last episode of 2018 here on Kicking Out at Two. I hope you had a great time. Overall, what was your, what was your take on Starcade '98? Watching it back with us, I would have to say it was it was a pretty good show. I mean, I liked the opening match a lot. Yep, the opening, the cruiserweights and everything. It was just really entertaining and all that. Yeah, and um, of course DDP and the Giant. That was a really good. That was another good match. Okay, and the two uh, matches that we didn't expect to see, like the Jobbers, didn't <laughs> it didn't cease to amaze me. Yeah. That's for sure. I don't think it ceased to amaze anyone. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that was that. That was WCW in a nutshell, and like I said, it really set the table for the topsy-turvy year they were going to have heading into 1999. But thank you so very much for being a part of this. This was awesome, and uh, hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm really glad, I'm really glad to be a part of it, and I hope to come back soon. Yeah, I'll have you on definitely soon in, in 2019. Lots of stuff to cover in the history of professional wrestling. All right, I think it's about that time that we put this show down for the three count. The final show of 2018. We hope you all have had a safe and happy holiday. Happy New Year from us at Kicking Out at 2, and we will see you all next year.